welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Fixation. This track is Motion Sickness. The record is out. You can get it today on War Records. Go to war-rec.com. The LP, The Secrets We Keep, fresh off the shelves. Philadelphia modern fucking classic. And tonight's guest, Wyatt Overholzer, frontman of Fixation, and a huge part of the success. So many recordings coming out of the city are on his uh, shoulders, and we'll be talking with him tonight. So, before we get into our fun, my fun conversation with Wyatt, let's go down some shows we have coming up. Uh, 20-year anniversary of the Vanity Tour with 18 Visions, CU Space Cowboy, my boy, that Woobly, his band Snake Charmer is going to be opening up. This is a great fucking show. Wristmead Razor, Chamber as well. Wednesday, July 27th at the Underground Arts. Tickets are still available. Don't sleep on this. So, we have a ton of shows by Bob Wilson and Soupy coming up. Um, Cycle Abuse, Bankrupt, Scrutinize, Philly Mocha. And that's uh, August 4th, the next day. Bob Wilson, John, Yuki Club, Envision, Almighty Watching, Magnitude, Garote. It's going to be fantastic. August 6th, this is four, three shows in a row in a weekend. This is Philly shit. It's a Chris X show. Backstabbers Incorporated, Scavengers, Facade, and Ripped Away. Bob Wilson has some wild shit coming up. He's working on a ton of stuff, but I can't announce all of it right now. Um, there's going to be a matinee at the yard at the end of August. Concrete, Gloves Off, Street Struck, Pure Bliss, and Born from Demise. That's 828. There's a yard. It's a matinee out in Ambler. We are, we've announced Monday um, the Acacia Train San Sugabog Body Box coming to the Yuki Club. That is on sale as of today. That's uh, September 9th of Friday. The Monday, we have Creeping Death, 200 Stab Wounds, Age of Apocalypse, Simulacra, Tribal Gaze at the church. You can get your tickets there. It's a lot of shit coming out. Make sure that you continue to support phillyhdshows.com. You can find stuff out. Big shout out to everybody who supported the Hard Times Tattoo Flea Market. The King of DVD deals had a great time. We're going to expand the operation to get to a full-ass emporium. Shout out to AXBX for all our hard work. Everybody who came, everybody who hung out. Cannon Corpse was out there. Uh, Mike Ferrero was out there. Punishment Fame. E.N. Bush, the Babyface Killer. CZW Fame was out there. Plant Dominoes. It was a blessing. It's a good time. Keep supporting shit. More shit that's cool is happening. And, um... The big thing to take away from this episode is that sometimes people come into a scene that they may not be born in the 100-mile radius, but their impact is felt immediately. And few people have impacted Philadelphia as quickly and as deeply as Wyatt Oberholzer. And throughout the conversation, I'm having a really good time talking to him. I had some show notes that he had to correct me on, which is great. It was weird to be able to remember 
some parts but not be able to figure out in the conversation how to segue from chemical fix into fixation. And we had to figure out a way to make that dance happen. But in the celebration of this record being out, I wanted to talk to him, get his perspective on where it came from, hardcore in general, the, you know, the things that chemical fix went into, how it impacted fixation. And I hope you guys enjoy this one. Thank you once again for the support. I really appreciate people who um, listened to last week's podcast. I know we had some weeks off because of this hardcore, but we're back, Daddy. We ain't going nowhere. And um, I really just can't tell you how much I appreciate being supported. And um, a quick shout-out to the New Yorker who wrote an actual good piece on hardcore, which doesn't always happen when big periodicals tackle hardcore music. And it's important that when we are covered in a good light that we share it so people get a good perspective of what hardcore is. Because through the years I've seen a lot of really shitty, terrible ways that they've covered hardcore. And, um, you know, I'm I'm not biased because we had a picture and they mentioned me. I'm, I'm being honest. We've been... Covered by quite a few things. It just makes us look dumb and stupid. But I truly do believe that this is actually one of the few times when somebody from outside our world takes a peek, writes something down, and doesn't embarrass us or make us like a car a character of the community. And um, shout out to everybody who's still riding high on the excitement specifically of the This Is Hardcore thing happened because I know I am and I, I didn't get to say it but um the thing I wanted to leave you guys with because we were talking about a lot of different things last episode is that if you're feeling down or you just know some people that might have a hard time they have changed the national number for suicide to 988 they'll be contact they'll be connected now to a trained counselor and then that way potentially the person who is struggling with staying alive or choosing suicide will have someone who can aid them and bring them to safety. And as someone who has contemplated suicide and actually called the suicide hotline one time, it's a weird thing to be on the precipice and looking at a phone number and figuring out a way to call it. So just 988, this is the suicide hotline number. And you can always reach out to me. I'm not trained, but I'll listen. I'll probably give you some advice, like listen to Killing Time and get yourself some help. But um, spread that around. So without further ado, one of the most impactful people in recent memory, one of my favorite people to, to harass on the telephone, Wyatt Oberholzer. Very excited to have this guest finally on the show. I've mentioned it quite a few times in passing that he was a future guest, so he's today's guest. Welcome to the show, Wyatt Oberholzer, a person who, without his presence in Philadelphia physically, the entire state of all the bands in the last, I want to say, five or six years, I can't think of I can't think of a time where we had so many recordings coming out locally. And they're all in his hands on top of bands he's been in and just his presence in the scene. So, Wyatt, thank you for your impact locally and thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. That's uh, 
that's quite an introduction. Well, it, it goes without saying, there has become like the default, like, oh, if a band's like, oh, we're recording, I don't even ask the question, oh, where are you going? Because now it's like, oh, you're going to go to Wyatt. Like, obviously, we're going to go to Wyatt, you know? And I, it, that's, that speaks of the pedigree of your abilities and your talents. And it just shows you that people like what you're doing, man. And its impact is felt. I mean, we could probably do a three-hour podcast on everything you recorded just in the last couple of years, you know? Yeah, yeah, I've done, I've done a couple things here and there. Yeah, I like to stay busy. Well, for those who did not grow up in Kensington or Frankfurt, they may not know that Wyatt's last name Oberholzer is attached to a notorious family from our neighborhood. So when I first saw him, like, I don't look like an Oberholzer. And then I found out you're from Massachusetts. So uh, let's my take dad's, this. My dad's family's from Lancaster, though. We we haven't determined. See, I could be related. Yeah, you, know, you, know, you could be the West the West Side group of the, uh, Oberholzers. Maybe. But uh, let's take this all the way back to where you grew up, the kind of music that was ex- you were exposed to as a kid, what that led you to both playing music or just finding the stuff that eventually be considered hardcore and punk? Um, so I grew up in right outside of Boston, um, in Brookline, Massachusetts. It's like one of the, one of the suburbs that like touches the edge of the city. So I was always like, you know, a 10 minute, 15 minute bike ride, train ride, whatever away from, from the city. Um, and growing up, um, I didn't hear a lot of like punk in the house, but, um, you know, I later found out my, my mom especially had like a big phase where she was, she was into, um, punk. Uh, she, she told me once that she used to hang out with Iggy pop or like somebody in his band. So my mom probably did a lot of drugs at, at some point in her life, uh, is probably what that means. Um, but growing up, I a lot of the stuff um, that I heard in the house that like would later have an impact on me. Like I didn't necessarily like understand it at the time, but like I don't know. I'd hear a lot of like Smiths and New Order, like that. That was on pretty regularly in the house, and um, you know, after like finding punk down the line and you know hearing some of that stuff referenced, I would I like ended up checking it out on my own. And very quickly realized, oh, yeah, I, I, I know this. I've heard this a lot before. I just didn't know what it was. So um, that's a lot of what I heard growing up. Um, as far as my my dad goes, my, my parents didn't live together. Um, I don't have my dad's taste in music whatsoever. He likes shit like Grateful Dead and Almond Brothers. And that shit just misses me entirely. Entirely? Yeah. Entirely. Yeah, no, not like the jam band thing. I don't yeah. get it at all. Um, I think you need a lot of drugs, like, right? What's that? I think you need a lot of drugs, really, right? You know, I've tried and still doesn't click for me. Um, yeah, of all the of all the classic rock and the different iterations, there's some folk music that just goes over my head and I have no no tolerance whatsoever of any kind of celebration of any of that bullshit jam rock. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I don't know. It, the, the whole like culture around it, like none of that 
makes sense to me. Um, I mean, for one, it's it's far too happy for me. Uh, at least that seems to be. I mean, like you said, like the celebration, like vibe of it is just that's that that doesn't connect for me at all. Um, but to go back to how I how I did find um, punk, I mean, I feel like it's getting to be a pretty uh, common answer for like people within. Uh, you know, my, my general like age range, I'm, I'm 29. So I, I was exposed to punk and hardcore and, and ska and shit like that through the Tony Hawk games. I mean, that is like, I can draw a clear line to um, like everything I've done in my life, just right back to playing the Tony Hawk game. Now, when you think about it, do you, when you were finding this music, did you correlate that the stuff your mom exposed you to might have any relationship to the punk or you thought it was totally different and in its own world? No, I thought it was totally separate until like, you know, I, you know, like years down the, like, not till I was like probably 16 or so, you know, um, we, you'd see people in hardcore bands wear a, a Joy Division shirt, a Smith shirt here and there, like stuff. And so I, I got curious about those bands and I, I had no idea that there was any relation to it. But as soon as I turned it, I think it was Hand in Glove by the Smiths was like the first thing that I went to check out, like independently. And I put it on. And as soon as that, uh, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the song, but there's this harmonica part that comes in. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, I know this fucking song. I've probably heard this a hundred times growing up. So yeah, I had no idea. And like, it wasn't until later. And like, that's, that's the kind of music that I have, like probably an equal amount of love for as I do hardcore um, that I just didn't connect the dots until way later that they are actually much more entwined than I would have realized. Now it, it, it goes over people's heads at times, especially the younger you are. But um, the easiest way for people to see the immediate correlation is if you check out the Touch and Go book that Tesco V put out, which is like a compilation of every every um, I say episode now. I always say that instead of zines, every issue of Touch and Go, and from the and from the outset, the Detroit guys were really heavily into all the new wave, and that was across the board in so many different first generation punk and hardcore scenes. Yeah. New Wave was seen as like the anathema to the radio rock and therefore super celebrated in the beginning culture that we have, you know? Yeah, which is funny because, you know, now it um, like compared to like the the more aggressive shit we listen to, like that almost seems like it would be closer to to radio rock. Like and like you said, like the younger you are, like the the harder it probably is to like understand how it is, um, how it, how it was like counterculture at the time. Cause now it, I mean, you hear a new order song on like just regular celestial radio. You're not going to like think twice of like, yeah, sure. Okay. This is on the radio. That makes sense. No, definitely. Especially I think hardcore punk, in this era is a lot about not trying to be like other people or the absolute opposite. I think there's times when hardcore tries to do their best to not be a part of hardcore, but from where you were coming from, 
that had to be in the late 90s, early 2000s was when you were seeing the Boston bands uh, start celebrating that. And it it was a cool thing because I think people at that stage weren't really as hip as they would like to have been to that kind of music. I remember Gibby would break out with the making time parties and all the different um, dance things that would happen in Boston that would come down to Philly. And that really grew our connection with those guys was those kind of dance parties that were focused around mod music from the sixties into, you know, the eighties new wave. So it's cool that you kind of, you kind of saw that and was the relationship. Um, I never played Tony Hawk. I had friends who did. So it's, it's always weird, but it's become more commonplace in this podcast to hear people say, I heard it from a skateboard game, but yeah. Thrasher <laughs> magazine early on, um, exposed a lot of people to that. So it makes sense carrying on that. Where do you think if you can remember the first time you saw live music, whether it was a concert or if your first thing was like actually a small punk show? Uh, it was definitely like, um, it was definitely like a big show that I probably made my, I probably like begged my dad to bring me to, um, I, I think it probably, oh man, I'm going to say it even though I don't want to, but I mean, fuck it. We're all 12 at some point. Right. I think my first show I ever saw was, um, the headliner was good. Charlotte, the support was some 41. And what was that fucking band that had two singers and it was Toby Morse and Chad Gilbert Hazen street. Yep. They opened. So Actually, funny enough, uh, I guess there's an argument that, yeah, the first band I saw was a hardcore band. Uh, I maybe didn't even know the, I maybe wasn't even familiar with the term hardcore, but that that was the first band I saw. Not so cool. It's It's a way in, right? I mean, absolutely. Not everybody, like, you can't just, like, wake up and, like, you know, all of a sudden, just like all the cool shit. You gotta. No, you always everybody have to struggle has, in. Yeah, everybody has an entry point. But before that, I was. I mean, I. I feel like I found more of the like pop punk stuff that was. I mean, that that just kind of took over the world at at that time. So that makes sense too. But even before that, um, I remember hearing Superman by Goldfinger and Tony Hawk, and uh, like I had a I had a big ska phase as a kid too. And we talked about this a little bit. I feel like I checked it out and then stayed for a while because I was like, man, there's a lot of cute girls at these Scott shows. I'm going to hang out here. I think, um, and I'll address this on the podcast for context. When I, when I talk about now going to Scott shows in the mid 90s, I get this like look of death, like, oh, Scott. I'm like, that's where all the hot girls were. Like, Oh yeah, like, dude, straight there, up. There wasn't like 50 girls in skirts and fishnets at a fucking any show in Philadelphia, like a hardcore show. And I mean, we went to a couple goth parties that had all ages, but there weren't that many of them. There was just one on Sundays. So if you wanted to see girls that weren't just like normal neighborhood Philly girls, you went to ska shows if you liked punk rock. And um, we're just about before that crazy... ADHD and too much energy drink kind of ska that got really popular on the warp tour. 
So I, I, I still, I still pop and love, um, the first wave ska and a lot of the traditional stuff always still listen to it. But I think hardcore kids now almost treat ska like, Ugh, why would you listen to that? And I'm like, you're missing out on a tire, like part of the formula for the whole culture, you know? So it's cool that you do that. You did, you did get, uh, you did get your time in in ska. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I definitely like saw a good amount of like that, like, yeah, like you said, like warp tour, ska but like i don't know i i remember being 14 or 15 and i also saw like the english beat i saw um maybe the specials played a show i can't remember i know i for sure saw the english beat um and then there was like i don't know i also got were you at all familiar with like the community records like scene that that group of bands that kind of like were were blending like ska with it definitely doesn't hold up, you know, 15 years later, but stuff that like blended ska and hardcore more, or was that not on your radar? Well, I mean, locally we had stuff like inspector seven and, um, they were obviously hardcore dudes from the area. So, and you'd see a, a, occasionally you'd see a mix of bands. So I don't think when I think of like the mix, I wouldn't go right to community records even though that that band definitely had a lot of that stuff or right. um, they, they had <clears throat> a lot of that stuff. I, I just, I know a lot of people who were just into old English bands or into that shit. So I always just thought they were related, but um, I'm not too familiar with that specific group, but I always thought it was just like, Hey, look, this is what we do. Oh, you know, like maybe the outlier bands like uh skank and pickle at the time, I'm trying to think of a couple I'm like, the Aquabats was a silly, and that was kind of like something that would later pop on the Warp Tour and get really big. Right. But for the most part, um, R5 Productions locally here, Sean started out as a ska promoter, and he had the specials and Bim Scala Bim and a lot of the stuff. And one of my best friends literally went to almost every single ska show fucking ever. And I remember it just being a big thing here, but not seen as like, oh, these are fucking dorks. It was like, there was, again there's cool girls there and there's like cool hardcore dudes that were into that, you know? Yeah. And like being from Boston too, like one of my big ones was uh, of course, mighty, mighty boss tones. And again, makes even more sense. Cause like, I mean, for what I understand, those are hardcore dudes. Yeah. I mean, they had hardcore bands. And in fact, in the mid nineties, the, there's a show in December 95 actually posted a ticket stub of it. H2O played two t- two separate nights at the Trocadero opening for Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And those, I mean, <laughs> we're not talking about ninja pitting or something, but we are talking about the mid-90s when there was like a different vibe at hardcore shows in general. But Mighty Mighty Boss Tones pits were not just like goofball skanking. It was a little rough. Oh, and, I, uh, I, I'm well aware. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they had, their, they had a really direct um, connection and obviously – when the H2O first record, Dickie Barrett's on there. It's it's definitely a um, overlooked, not addressed, or just not seen from the current state of kids that ska bands had connections within hardcore. So it's cool you had that. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of that you can attribute to like the the goofy, like the Aquabats, the real big fish, the like you know that stuff definitely like. Uh, kind of makes it hard to see the the relation if like that's your idea 
of ska because that that gets to like that just furthers the gap between like ska and and punk and hardcore um i would imagine so it it makes sense that a lot of people don't see that that connection now when you go home from that first occasion what was your mentality because i i don't know was the internet like a thing really that deep yet or was it still something where you're like i'm gonna go down to the record store or did you go i'm gonna go on the internet and start searching once you yeah no uh you know scouring like limewire was was how i found and fucking up your family's computer fucking up the computer uh dude not even just fucking up the computer like getting things that like i didn't know what the fuck it was because it was like mislabeled i was like i don't i don't know like this song says it's this but i don't know this this other song also says it's this like i don't know what the fuck i have here um you know just listening to the most absolute dog shit like tiny fucked up version of it um yeah it was it's definitely uh it was it was a funny time to be like young and trying to discover music. Um, but other than that, you know, I had like, you know, I would go to the library. I would like rent CDs. Um, I had a couple of like compilation CDs that that got me into stuff. Um, yeah, no, definitely not like uh, MySpace wasn't at least something i was aware of you know I, I i don't know whether or not it was like really becoming a thing yet but i can say that i wasn't aware of it at that time when i was like really discovering music when do you think did you have the like i need to be in a band like, what was it what sparked that or did that come way later no it was immediate i what think i probably the, what was, was the thought what was the thought that made you like go over the edge and be like, I got to pick up an instrument? Well, so um, I guess, I guess I have to backtrack, backtrack a little bit. I, um, I, I had taken some piano lessons as a kid um, and I didn't connect to it at all. And, you know, after doing it for maybe a year or so, I was like, Hey, I'm not really into this. And my parents are like, all right, whatever. We're not going to like force you to, you know, I, I gave it a try and they were like, okay. So that's not for you. But, um, you know, I just started like, I think it's because I wasn't connecting with music yet, really. And, um, you know, starting to, to like discover bands and find stuff that really felt like it was like mine. Um, it, my dad did have a guitar in the house, like an old like nylon string, like classical guitar, not something uh, that was usable to me at all, but it didn't stop me from like picking it up and like, I just wanted to strum it. I just wanted to like, see what it felt like, see if I could, you know, do that. Like I wasn't playing any frets. I was, I'm sure it drove my parents fucking crazy when I discovered that guitar. Cause I would just take it out of the case and just, just strum it, like not fretting anything, just open strings, uh, out of tune and all. Um, but I was just like, I, 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 I was mimicking what I saw, um, these people in bands that I liked do. You know, like I was just, I, they, they strum the guitar. I want to try that. And then from there, it was like, I started figuring out how to like actually get my, my hands on the frets. And like, um, then I think I've at some point discovered like guitar tabs and learned how to play, you know, 
a Green Day song or or something like that, like an ACDC, you know, whatever, whatever it might have been. I was like, okay, well, it says what fret I'm supposed to play on what string. I, I can figure this out. So they kind of just like went from there. And then uh, I think for, I think I want to say my 12th or 13th birthday, uh, I got a guitar for my birthday, um, an electric guitar and a tiny little like, not even a foot tall, like practice amp. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that took over my life. Like I stopped paying attention in school. Like I go home and blow off everything I was supposed to do. I wouldn't like, I, I wouldn't do sports. I wouldn't hang out with people. I was like, I got to get good at guitar. I want to play guitar. That's all I want to do. Now, did you go through the full motions of, those chord charts did you play along the music what was the progression of trying to learn yeah no i mean i uh, honestly like it's funny because I, I i have two separate careers in music and i'm i if i have to read sheet music which really never comes up i'm it takes me fucking forever i'm awful at it i was like i learned how to play all of dookie on guitar and you know like went from there you know what i mean just like i want to learn how to play every green day song i want to like just i want to learn how to do that like i don't give a fuck about like i don't need to be able to play jazz like i don't need to be able to play um you know maybe i learned a couple of led zeppelin songs just kind of figuring out the whole like i'm a guitar player thing that i feel like people go, you know they go through their guitar center phase of learning an instrument as a kid or at least i did um but you know, very quickly, it was like, no, I just want to play chords and play punk. Now, were there people locally that you started vibing with? Like, what were your first friendship group based around, like, the kind of music that you started getting immersed in? Um, You know, I actually, it, it was kind of a thing that I got into, and I, I sort of, like, I, I stumbled across, and, um, like, kids in my town weren't, like, they weren't into it or if there were any kids around, like I wasn't aware of it. I mean, I lived in a pretty big town. Like my high school was like 2000 kids, like, you know, so people are, you know, they're somewhat spread out and maybe I just didn't find them, but it was sort of this thing that I had independently um, stumbled across. And then like, you know, the kids who were kind of into music or showed some sort of interest, I would be like, well, do you want to come like check out this thing? Like, here, let me show you, like, let me make you a CD or borrow this CD or like check out this. You know, I was trying to like see if there is anybody else I could like rope into like being into the shit with with me, you know, um, and like it, you know, it would take. But then they would, the, the interest would fizzle out. It kind of wasn't until um my later like high school years when I would start kind of like going outside of my town to uh, like, you know, I made uh, my close friends were not the, the kid down the street anymore. It was like the people I knew from hardcore shows. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, that didn't stop me from like, you know, I, I had many attempts at bands that, you know, we just, played some covers in the garage or maybe we tried to write a couple songs and then 
you know, didn't like, you know, there, I, I, I think a lot of people have this experience, but like bands that never played in front of anybody. Um, but you know, I was still like attempting to play music with other people, like probably as early as, I don't know, 13. Like I was, I was like, I, I need to do this. And I, I didn't have the right people to do it with yet, but like, you know, that came later. Anybody that from that time that you still fuck with, or was that just like your starting lineup and you don't really have any connection? Yeah. I mean, like not just like not friendships that, um, they just like, they just fizzled out because like, you know, I, I, I got into my thing. They got in it. Uh, it's a lot of people I probably haven't talked to in like 15 years. Um, I do have a couple of friends from like, you know, later, uh, like 16, 17, 18 that, uh, that I still talk to. I still see whenever I'm up in Massachusetts, like, you know, if uh, I play a show up there, they'll, they'll always come. So there's a handful of people that like I connected with a little bit later on that I'm still talk to regularly. So, Walk me into what happens next. You start a band, you join a band, you go to more shows. Like what? As you're progressing musicianly, um, in your own musicianship, and also excited about shows, how does the next couple? You know, how does this next whole phase happen for you? Um, after like a couple attempts to like really put together like uh, a band that I'm like, you know, I want to play shows. Uh, you know, playing a quote unquote real band. Um, I've I think my first one probably wasn't till I was 17. Um, and, uh, it was kind of, I mean, a lot of the, the stuff at the time that was going on that people like, you know, one of the, one of the big things going on was sort of the like heavier, darker, like melodic hardcore stuff. So like, you know, I would, I would see the carrier all the time. I would see, uh defeater i would see bands like i mean one of my first shows was have heart which they although i don't necessarily put them in that category i think they influenced a lot of that stuff um or at least drew from similar in you know like they 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 had a pop right before that big wave of like more melodic hardcore stuff so yeah i mean my first band sounded kind of like that um, I actually sang in it. A lot of people think that, uh, I've never sang in a band before fixation, but, uh, that's not true. It's just been 10 years. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we played a, a good amount of shows. Um, we played, you know, just very punk DIY stuff. Uh, I don't know if you, what was going on up there? Was it like Vermont? Was it just the, uh, was it that, what was the name of that? Democracy Center was. Yep, there, I played Democracy it? Center all the time. What yep, were the a, so? I know that was a spot. Was there some other spots that were kind of DIY in that whole uh, New England area? Yeah, I mean, my friend uh, who played bass in the band actually booked uh, shows at like. I mean, he was a year younger than me. He booked shows at his uh, parents' house in the garage in uh, Linfield, Massachusetts, which is like right next to Lynn. But um, I mean, Code Orange Kids played a show there like when they were touring on maybe the demo. Um, so like, it's it, as funny as it is to say, like, yeah, we used to play my, my bass players, uh, parents garage all the time. And, um, 
actually one of the first shows I ever played. I uh, got to record the band that like played it and quote unquote headlined it last year. Um, so like some of that stuff like really stuck with me from that time too. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like what else, um, what else that would be like familiar to to you or to to anybody else that was that was going on. I mean, I used to go to shows at like Anchors Up and Rocco's in uh, New Hampshire too. Um, yeah, but Democracy Center was probably the the big one for me. That was that was very much like the scene I I was into at the time. Now here's a question. How far did you travel for shows at that time? Well, I didn't learn to drive till I was 23. So, uh, cause you had it, the T yeah. Cause I had the T exactly. But the thing Hold is, on. The for those rail, listening, the T is the Boston term for the transit system. It's literally just like they refer to the buses and all that as the T. Sorry. Continue. No, that's fine. And you know what? I didn't realize until I left Massachusetts, how, um, how like intense of a public transit system it actually, I mean, you know, I came here and I was like, wait, there's just a train that goes up and down and then east to what, like that blew my mind that there was only two, you know, there's trolleys and buses of course, but like, I, I didn't realize what a um, like comprehensive uh, thing that I grew up with. Like you could get anywhere. Um, and I was going to say, like, the, the commuter rail sucked, but that was just because, like, it it would, like, shut down kind of early. And, like, yeah, I could, like, get out to a show. And I don't know, they would have shows out in, like, Holyoke. And I'd be like, well, I want to go see, like, the Mongoloids, but I know that I'm, I'm not going to be able to get back if I go. So it was kind of like get a ride when I can. And then other than that, it was it was kind of like I'm going to have to stay somewhat local so but i got rides out to shows a good a good amount now thinking about this how soon did it take you to realize like that you were a part of a way bigger thing i know the internet was still there but like you started being you started realizing there was like shit way beyond new england earlier to take you longer before you're like oh fuck there's shows like all over the place well i don't know I don't know about shows, but I was definitely aware of bands because I mean, I was, I was like uh, so nerdy about music, like pretty immediately, like as far back as I can remember, I've just always been fascinated in like, you know, okay, I like this band. What else? Like, who are their, who are their peers? Who are their influences? Who did they influence? So like, you know, I just discover bands on like Discogs and Last FM. So like, you know, I may, I may not be like aware of like what the shows were like, but I knew they had to be happening because there were bands from other places. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I like I didn't like have this moment where I realized that hardcore was just this big thing. It was like, you know, all of a sudden I was just like in it and then, you know, like slowly realized how big it was you know what i mean like it wasn't like a an aha moment that it was like whoa this is way bigger than like the the six bands from 
this area that I see all the time, it was, it was more like, I just got really into like the, like the, the musical history of it and like, you know, going to shows and then I just became aware of other bands and then, yeah, I don't know. I'm rambling. Do you no, get not. what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. Now, what what age are you at right now? What when I'm like starting to discover all this stuff? Yeah, like well, like where we're at in the story now. How old are you right this in that in this moment in this in this conversation? I'm probably 16, 17 still. So, I mean, younger, younger discovering it, but like when I like am really going to shows all the time, like starting to play in a band. Yeah, definitely, definitely 16, 17 or so. Which is still makes you pretty young for like the the whole thing, which is why like the driving and the, oh, fuck, I can't go. It kind of, I just want to give people perspective on how, like how old you are at this point. Now, when do you start thinking about college and because, you know, 16, 17 is like that moment in high school where. You probably did you get along with people in high school? Did you meet people in high no, school? No, not like at you? all. I, so I like, didn't get along with anybody in high school. So you didn't find that like table of with the actual like cool people. There was none in your school, huh? Uh, I didn't think they were cool. Um, no, I got I. I mean, I um, I had a lot of like trouble as as a kid. Um, to be honest, with, and I I would you know looking back on it attribute a lot of like my high school experience to that. And it's probably what attracted me to, to hardcore too. But, you know, until I was like 16 or seven, you know, right around this time too, like, um, I like had some, some undiagnosed, like ADHD, anxiety, like depression that I had no idea. Um, I had no idea. Like my teachers had no idea. My parents had no idea. Um, so school, school was hard for me. Um, you know, getting along with like other people was, was hard for me. Um, I got sent home from school a lot, either from, I would have like chronic panic attacks or, um, sometimes I would like go the other way on it and like, I don't know, do shit. Like I, I threw a kid like into a locker a couple times, um, like, throw kids at, uh, throw textbooks at other kids heads i was i was a bad kid i was i acted out a lot um so yeah it was definitely high school was not like a positive experience for me at all and to to answer your question about college i actually wasn't i wasn't planning on going to college until um somebody told me i could go to school for recording when i was a senior in high school but that was after, tell I, don't, me, I don't mean to jump tell me ahead that, No, 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 no. Tell me that story because that's where I was kind of getting to because it didn't seem early on like there was one path or you're like, obviously you're playing, you're finding music, but I found it interesting from like our conversation how you got into recording that it came from, uh, it came from a college. So like walk us down the path to where you were exposed to that and then like what it did for you. Okay. Uh, I'll try to do this like as like linearly as as I can but so at some point uh you know learning to play guitar learning to eventually like write songs the next the next step was I look I wanted to record them and you know this is at a point in time where like garage band is a thing that exists 
and I got this tiny little little box that I could plug in a, a microphone and a guitar into my computer and record it. And I just started messing around that way, like kind of furthering the like the experimentation with like, okay, well I've tried writing music, but let me see what I can do about like starting to capture it. Um, and then that that kind of that it snowballed into sort of this like obsession of like I've got a sound in my head and I can't get it to come out of the speakers in front of me. So I would tinker more. And then eventually, um, you know, a friend's band when I was, uh, you know, all around the same age when I'm starting to play in bands and uh, go to shows like uh, friends of mine who are a couple of years older were playing in a band and uh, they were like, oh, yeah, we want to record our demo. And I had convinced another friend of mine to like, let me buy he had a, a beginner set of like drum mics you know it came in a package um not not at all decent mics but like you know he let me borrow it for like a day to uh try to record my friend's band and i'm literally i'm literally on like wiki how like how to mic a drum set like i told my friend's band i would record him and here i am like just threw myself into it like you know, these are, these are older kids who I looked up to and I was like kind of trying to impress them. And I'm like, I'm going to just fucking figure it out. I'm going to do it. And you know what? I don't, I don't remember if it's, I'm sure it didn't sound good, but I, I did do it. Like I, I recorded, I recorded a drum set and then some guitars and some vocals and I'm pretty sure they put it out. So I kind of just dove right in. I'm like, fuck it. I'll figure it out. Like on the job. That's pretty cool. I mean, like, just the thing about even this is early on, you had the the sense that hey, I got to learn, so I'm gonna look it up. That's cool that you uh, you took that initiative. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even think that was like a, a an option as a career at the time. I was just like, I I think I could do it. I think I know what it's supposed to sound like. I just need to learn how how to accomplish that. But I'm pretty sure I'll know it when I hear it. Um, and it took many, many years after that to like be able to bridge the gap between what I hear in my head and what I hear coming out of the speakers in front of me. Like maybe only in the last five years could I really confidently say, like, yeah, I, I zeroed that in. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, still continuing to have a, a rough time. I actually dropped out of high school for a little bit. Um, I like did a, I worked for a property management company, and then. Um, kind of was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is for me. I, I should probably go back to school and finish. And then uh, a guidance counselor told me that uh, Drexel in Philadelphia had a recording uh, program that I could go to. And I was like, well, that sounds really cool. Um, I'd, uh, you know, I knew some kids who were a little older who had gone to Berkeley and they all had this really snobby attitude. So I, I really wasn't considering any other options. And it was like, kind of, I, I was I was in this place where I was like fuck it I'll I'll apply, I'll apply to Drexel like I'd like to go to school for recording that's really the only thing I've checked out that seems like it might be kind of cool um I'm just going to apply there and if I don't get in I'm just not going to go to college and I ended up getting in and they gave me a pretty significant scholarship so I moved down here um when I was 18 or 19 so it would have been 10 years ago now 10 plus um what I didn't go your, to school for very long. 
what was your first exposure walking into Philadelphia as a, as a, not a, let me check the place out, but like when you first moved in, what was your like, Oh fuck, I'm here. What was that? Uh, well, so I, I came down to visit before, uh, actually like, you know, pulling the trigger and deciding to do it. Um, so I, I came down for like a open house type of thing for like new, um, newly accepted students. And I, did that and then I blew half of it off and uh, like, you know, probably posted something on Facebook that was like, what's what's a cool like vegan spot I should check out in Philadelphia while I'm here for the weekend. So I walked to um, Govinda's uh, instead of doing the other half. <laughs> Sorry. I used to love that place, but it's good. we got ass over over the years. Yeah, it was really good the first time I went, and I'll agree with you. Like, you know, the last couple times I went before I closed down, it, it definitely it fell off. Um, but yeah, so that's that. You know, I kind of just like I, I mean, I used to love doing shit like that. Like, especially being a kid who like didn't drive. Like, I walked all the time. I biked all the time. Like, I loved. You know, I blew off the thing I was supposed to do for school, and instead I walked from. Uh, like the, I guess it would have been like 34th and market to Govinda's, which was, where was that at? Broad, it was broad, on Broad and South. Broad and South. So that's a hike. Yeah. That's a hike. Yeah. I mean, like I, I just put headphones on and like, you know, checked out a new city. Um, and was it like, a culture shock? No, not really. I mean, it's like, you know, Philly and Boston are not like super different. It, you know, Philly is like grittier, but, um, I don't know, like now in comparison, I go to Boston. And I'm like, it's like, uh, it's uh, it makes me almost uneasy. Like, why is it so clean here? I kind of like that something about that. Like, you know, I've always been attracted to things that are like kind of fucked up. Like, you know, I I walked around in Philly and I went, yeah, I can live here. This seems seems cool. Uh, you know, I found hardcore. I was like, oh, this is kind of fucked up. This seems cool. Like, you know, I've just always been attracted to stuff that's kind of got this like rough edge to it. So Philly made sense. So when did you first start coming to shows here? Like once you got settled in? So I, I definitely started going to shows right away. Um, it was at a time where I didn't feel super, um, connected to like, you know, what, what you and I might like think of as like, the hardcore scene like that that music always attracted me but like you know i went to a handful of shows here and i i, I honestly felt out of place um I, I remember seeing a couple shows at underground arts um maybe one of my first ones when i moved here was code orange um there were probably still code orange kids at the time um and harm's way does that sound does that sound no that twitching was, tongues is what it was so twitching tongues. what you're talking about is a special moment and me and bob have said this i've said it on this podcast this show in october of 2014 to me was truly the beginning of a new moment in hardcore for philadelphia because i saw so many new kids hold on i saw so many new kids at this specific show Wrong answer, soul search, twitching tongues, code orange, voltage. The show, I had high hopes. The twitching tongues record was phenomenal that year. 
code was really blowing up, but there was something about that show. And that was like the beginning of a new era. So I love that, that you were at that show. Cause like so many people now that was some of their first shows. Yeah, it was here. definitely one of my, one of my first Philly hardcore shows. I don't, I, I, I definitely had gone to like some bigger ones at, um, UT, like I, you know, within a couple months, I saw um, Title Fight there, and I saw Converge there. Um, but the, you know, like what I think of is like a little bit more like, you know, run of the mill, still like bigger, but like definitely like through and through a hardcore show. Um, that that was certainly one of them, and it, it was just at a time where I was like, kind of not starting to feel super connected to that. So there was a couple of years where I was like more, I was way more like a basement kid, way more. Um, in the oh, shitty fuck. music and shitty and shitty shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't look back on it. Like, you know, I had to check out what else there was to come, come back around and be like, no, this, this is what I, this is what I connect to. Um because, you know, I, I found that, like, you know, people might, uh, you know, they they talk a certain way there. They walk a certain way there. But, like, as much as they like to look at us and, like, have whatever fucking opinions they have, you know, they're just as toxic. They're just, they do it, like, they do it behind your back. So, I don't know. Fuck all those kids. Fuck West Philly. <laughs> um, hold, hold on. I'm going to pause this. Real yeah, I think the thing that I get to when it always comes to West Philly is the new people that come to college. When we have a new person, we don't give them the litany of like, oh, well, if you go to those shows and you're supporting, blah, blah, blah. And they, like, they, they have a good job of what I like to call getting out in front of things. And they've spent a lot of time trying to indoctrinate people into the idea that only at these basement shows where the only way to find them is if they tell you. <laughs> yeah. Itself is kind of funny. Like we support <clears throat> and promote hardcore by not telling anyone the show unless we think you're cool enough to come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's absolutely. like stuff like that. There's like kind of, I have to laugh at, but I also support anyone's opinion on what they want out of a punk hardcore scene to just do their own thing, which they do do. But I've always found, especially in the modern times with us, like leading from the front here um, with the hardcore shows that they take a lot of shots and be like, Oh, you don't want to. And it's like, what you don't want to go to a show where there's lots of people and the bands are cool. And you know, like I, I know that you know, listen, Bob Wilson, that motherfucker would play in a raccoon cage in the yeah. middle of fucking nowhere. If he could, he loves a small, crazy place. God bless his ass. But like we, we were just carrying on the tradition that other people started here. We didn't create it. And it's a bizarre thing to see people who didn't grow up in Philadelphia. Didn't even really go to real hardcore shows. When people like yourself move here, they get like this spiel, like this indoctrination, like you don't want to go there. <laughs> it's always been fucking. Oh weird. yeah, absolutely. That was like pretty early on. Like, you know, as soon as I found like a couple of those like basement, you know, it, it, it didn't take long to get that, get that talking to. 
about yeah, you, uh, you get that spiel like yeah. this is how you're supposed to behave if you want to you know and, and and i i don't do that so i make fun of them because i'm allowed to and but it's just always a bizarre difference between what they're saying and what they're doing but i'm glad yeah. that you did not take the full indoctrination you didn't drink the kool-aid and that show so much came from that show so it this is just like another cool thing that i didn't know about you but that you're a part of that specific show because that was a turning point to me where I felt like, okay, there were so many people where I'm like, who the fuck are these motherfuckers? And it was in the hundreds. It wasn't like, Oh, I don't know this one kid. I think I might've known besides the bands playing and it like 20 or 30 people from hardcore. I didn't know most of the people at that show and it was fantastic. And so many of them were going on to do awesome bands, great projects. So it's cool that you were a part of that. So post that, how did you balance the t- the time you did spend at Drexel and Philadelphia for that? Like, you know, like, like over the next couple months. And then what did you learn from going to the shows and things that came from that? What do you mean? How did I, uh, I mean, like, I didn't like, there, were you do like a hard to your nose? Were you hard to the books and I don't have no, time for anything, but not at or all. were you like, I don't give a fuck about school. I love shows. I want to hang out. I want to do crazy shit. Yeah, I mean, I I joined a band within like a month of being here, and then, um, I don't know, like started doing weekends, and uh, we went on a three week tour. When what band was that? Uh, this is a band I played in called Grower. Okay. Yeah. Um, long time ago, uh, or it feels like it anyway. It feels like a different lifetime to me now. But um, yeah, so I started playing in that band, um, and then you know. Just we were like just DIY booking booking weekends. We booked a three week tour uh, when school let out for the summer, and uh, I went back for one semester after that, and then just said, "Fuck it, I'm going to drop out. I'm going to do something else." Because to be honest with you, like really, what I what I found is I wasn't learning anything in school that um, that I they weren't teaching what I wanted to learn. You know, it was a lot of, uh, you know, talking about music business, um, talking about like, you know, I had to go to like an economics class, a statistics class, which like, you know, I, I understand why now they, they wanted to teach that to everybody before they kind of let you like specialize in what you want to do. But, um, that just, I had no fucking, it was like, yo, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get a degree, for something I, I really want to do. It's this really specific, like I was sure about it. Um, and then I ended up dropping out. Um, I didn't really have a plan other than I'm just going to work at a, a coffee shop, work at a restaurant, bar, whatever, um, you know, make enough money to play in bands and, and go on tour. Um, until a couple of years down the line, I, I found myself in a position where I was like making a little bit more money than I was used to. And, you know, uh, I had been living in houses with like five to seven roommates at a time um, and was uh, just getting to a point where we were all like, you know, moving into smaller places, maybe moving in with a significant other um, and we needed a practice space. So. Um, that's how I ended up setting up what, what is now my studio. Um, how did you even, uh, know where to like go through the process for those who are thinking about doing anything like that? Like, 
what brought you to be like, I need to find a spot and how to go through it? Well, I mean, we were used to having a basement that we practiced in. And then, uh, you know, it kind of seemed like we were all sort of exiting that phase in our lives. And it was like, okay, well, bands practice somewhere other than a basement, I'm sure. So um, we just found a listing. I'm pretty sure it was on on Craigslist um, and went and checked out the warehouse that we're in now. And at the time, there was no walls built out on on either of the two floors that are now uh, stuffed with tons of, you know, people have studios, bands, bands practice, there's glass blowing and different kind of like art spaces on, on the top floor, like where they had, uh, what was it? No face. Um, yeah, none of that was like built out yet. It was just this, like, it looked like a big parking garage. Um, but they were like, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you want to move in here, like it'll be built out uh, a month from now and, you know, you'll be the second tenant here. That's so, awesome. Yeah, we we took a look at it and we were like, "Fuck it, let's try this." And we we figured out how to how to build a floor because you know otherwise it would have been a concrete floor. Which you know my plan was always like probably just record demos for my bands at least you know uh, record in some capacity. But you know we built a floor and then I ended up uh, buying a recording console because I found a good deal on one. Drove up to Long Island to get it. Just started kind of like, you know, we we had like a a collection of like just like basement full of like punk crap, you know, like just left like forgotten stuff. But like if you were willing to sift through it, there was like there was a couple of usable things in there, some mics, some cables. So like I wasn't starting from zero, but uh, I certainly didn't have anything nice. It would, but then you know I just. I saw a recording console. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it. That that's, that's a commitment to like buy that thing. Now I got to, if I buy that, I got to work now. I kind of love the idea that you went to school for like a little bit and you're like, nah, fuck that. I'll just learn this shit on my own. Well, the, see, the thing is everybody I knew who was uh graduate, like I played in bands with kids who were older and a couple of them had uh, been going to school for what I was going to school for. And I saw they were graduating and working the same jobs that I was, you know, I, I always worked when I was in school, like restaurant, bar, uh, coffee shop, whatever. And all of my friends worked at the same places as me and they had the degree. So I was like, yeah, this, this four years of, of busting your ass in school and going into a crazy amount of debt, it doesn't seem like it pays off in the end for this. So I got to find a different way to do it. You know, I had a weird experience in my mid twenties, because I had always worked construction jobs, depending on what tour I was at or where I was at. And I would talk to people and they're like, Oh, that, that works really hard. Like, don't you want to get a job where you don't have to kick your own ass and all this stuff. And then when I started working my first year in a union job, I was 25 turning 26. And I remember it being really hot that summer. And my friends like, man, you know, that's fucking hard work, man. Is it worth it? And then I was like, well, how much do you make an hour? You know, no, or, you know, what did you make a year? What do you make an hour? And, and he's talking like 30 or 40 grand, but he's in an office at the time. This is obviously like 17, 18 years ago. And um, I'm like, my man, I can make that in like six months if I just show up every day and do an eight hour day. You know, yeah. like depending on what your level of, 
you know, now obviously what, there was a time when like this, when Sonny was going to school coding and all that was like the biggest thing you can make money on. And then it, and they always find a way to leverage where these college degrees do not bring you like this big income. So I think that was actually really smart on your part because I, I always thought it was really weird to be told by people who worked like kind of jobs like you're talking about, like coffee shop jobs or, you know, Kinko's like, oh, you don't want to work hard. I'm thinking like, my man, if I got to work a little bit harder, but I'm making more money, I'm going to do it. You know, like, yeah, and I think that was the smartest thing to do. And I think because of the punk world that you were around and seeing so much of what we do in DIY and learn from mistakes and build off of it. So was there anything outside of your own intuition and knowledge? Like, were you, What were you drawing from when you first started putting your gear together and started doing like your first recordings in that space? Were you looking up old Steve Albini things? Like what, what else were you yeah, taking I mean, from all that, that kind shit, of teach you? Like, you know, definitely Steve Albini is like someone who I definitely um, take a, a good amount of influence. Like I, I, you know, we certainly don't have similar production styles, but um, I mean, hearing him talk about how he, how he like approaches music is fascinating to me. Um, another similar one to me would be Kurt Ballou, like especially being from from Boston and like pair that with like being the the kids scouring like just like the credits on Discogs, being like who's this fucking guy who's involved with everything. So he he's definitely somebody who I I drew a lot of inspiration on. So anytime you, I can find any a, nugget, let me cut you off. Did you like no, the sound that Jim Ziegle made from the Outpost recordings, like the Death Threat? Loved the Black- it. Loved, right, I, loved since you brought recording. Kurt, I had to cut you off. I'm sorry. Did you did, no. that, did that ever come to mind when you were thinking about like that? Because I thought Jim Siegel for what he did production wise and hardcore was fantastic. No, he was, I mean, there's like he is such an identifiable sound. Um, that really like 2000, I want to say 2000, like four to 2008, like you know, he was doing the the big shit, like, um. At least that's that's the the period of time that I I think of where I'm like, oh, he was he was the guy with the sound, um, and he's somebody who like some of his records definitely have informed my own tastes and opinions. Um, the thing is, you know, I even now to this day, every once in a while I'll get I'll get curious because I still I still am always soaking up as much information as I can. Um, and I, I really think that, you know, I probably have something to learn from anyone. Um, but I just, I, he was not like a, a public guy in the same way. Like there was just not a lot about him that you could find, not a lot about his studio, not a lot of, not a lot about the way he does things. He was just, he was kind of a mystery to me. He hung out with, uh, I believe the, the, the dog, the Greyhound Gracie. Love Greyhounds was one of the most interesting dudes and completely affable. Made so many cool records. I'm glad that you also I had. A, I started for cutting y'all, but I I had to no, know no. once you started bringing up Kurt. I'm like, dude, I gotta know if you love the Outpost records because some of them recordings still are just so fucking phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Like he. I believe he did the first Half Art LP. I think he did some some blacklists that are like maybe even the, the second AN record. Does that all sound right? 
He did the, I was there. I was there on eye for an eye. And I know that they blacklisted went and did the one record there. And then some bands were like, we want the blacklisted snare or something like that. And they were like, fuck because on we're talking about, right? Yeah. They were like, fuck, we got to go somewhere else because they didn't want that. Uh, I gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I, I love, like, I think that's my favorite sounding blacklist, blacklisted record. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I also wonder if there's old zines or anything that you do draw up from the internet that also helped you as you were building your like archive kind of like hodgepodge self-learning and then drawing, like, was there other things that from punk like writings that let you thought of for recordings or were you just trying to mimic records that you enjoyed? Yeah, it was just kind of like, you know, I taken like elements of different rec- Like, you know, I really like how the guitar sound on this record. I like how the drums sound on this record, like, you know, kind of just like, it, it was honestly a lot of trial and error to, to figure out how to, how to do what I liked. And, um, you know, the more you fuck up, the the more you start to narrow down what what gets you closer to what what you're actually looking for. So it was that. I mean, you know, anytime I saw pictures or videos like of a like even if it was a short snippet of a band like recording, I was like, oh, what 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 mic you got on the on the on the symbols there? Like, what's the like? Just trying to see like, can I see what that is? Uh, Oh, okay. I know what that looks like. Uh, I'm going to have to keep an eye out and see if I can figure out what that is that he's using there. Um, shit like that. But like, no, it was, it was a lot of like, you know, I, at school I did learn like sort of what like the, the, the very basic, like, you know, I, I had access to, to some stuff and I, I tried it out and I sort of learned real broad strokes, like what, what works and what doesn't work for that. But I, I didn't narrow it down until much later. And it was, it was trial and error. I mean, I bought a lot of stuff over the years that I was like, Oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be like the the thing that takes it to the next level for me. And then I try it and I go, Nope, this ain't it. This sucks. I'm going to, I'm going to have to sell this and get something else. What was the first thing that you were really proud of that you recorded? The first thing I was really proud of that I recorded, um, you know what? It was the prior to me being a member of this band. It was the Drowse Seven Inch that I recorded because I recorded it uh, in two days. I didn't really know any of those guys except the drummer at the time. He was the one who introduced me to all of them, and we did it in two days while I was still at Drexel. We did it in like the studio they had there, and we did it all on tape. Cause I'm, uh, I'm a, a bit of a masochist and I was like, I'm going to be a guy who records on tape when I first started. Interesting. Uh, it's certainly a fun experience. It's very much like if you fuck up, there's no fixing it. You just start over and play it until you, I mean, now I can, you know, just zoom in real quick. Like, Oh, you, you, you played your drums like shit. Cool. I'll fix it for you. But, uh, at that time that wasn't an option because it was like there's no computer screen here and just wind the tape back and let's do it again the first time we recorded anything we had um a local studio literally around the corner from my house like you can go 
through the alleyway and you wouldn't even have to go around the block. And that's how we recorded the first demo for my first band. And it was, was like, punishment? Nope. no, a band that we will leave unnamed. Okay. And, fair um, enough. I didn't name mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we, we recorded real to real. I believe there was a dat tape and everything we did was on cassette, but I remember those processes of the tape and be like, all right, redo it. Okay. Redo it. <laughs> you know, it was a lot different that would come after it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm actually really glad that some of the first things I recorded was on tape because like, I mean, that's trial by fire, you know, like you, you have to get it right. There's, like I said, there's no fix it later. So it was, uh, I mean, it just, it, it was, it was, you were way more committed to the choices that you made. Um, and I now, I certainly don't, uh, like paint myself into a corner like that, but I like have so much respect for that workflow that like, I, I definitely like, I treat, like, I don't know how to talk about it without, um, you know, getting really into the, the tech nerdy stuff, but like, I, I'm always, what I do in like the digital realm, I'm always mindful of what the analog equivalent of it would be, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I think that some people got lazy in the process and if, if we go back to the talk about in Stoughton Mass with Jim Siegel, I mean, he was recording some of the first recordings from Converge. He did the Mighty Mighty Boston records, Dropkick, Do or Die. And these right. are all legendary records that we know were done. We're all done pre uh, all that shit. And I, I mean, obviously have been a benefactor and a I enjoy, I enjoy not having to stress some of that stuff, but there is something special when a band can go in there and just knock it out. But it's a hard time. And I know some people are probably like, why the fuck could we spend on it? But it's interesting to me because there are so many people now who just could pick up a laptop, a telephone record so easily that I think you in, in what you endeavor, I mean, obviously you're a musician, but also a recording is your, your not a hobby, but it's your living and it's your pastime. I think it's important that you went back to the real stuff because you always have to learn your trade at its, at its, at its best form. And some of them recordings on the tapes and stuff are always going to be able to outshine the digital shit, in my opinion. Well, yeah, because, you know, there was, there, you know, there was a lot more um, care that went into uh, every, how, like, it, it seems obvious, but like what everything sounds like on the way in, because, you know, once it's, once it's on the tape, like, you know, you can manipulate it a little bit, but you really can't, um, you can't just like, you know, now, uh, the easiest thing to give an example for is like, Oh, the, the drums sound like shit. Okay. I'll just like pull up a sample for the snare and, uh, you know, replace it on the whole, right? Like you could just fix it. Um, but you know, when you're doing it on, on tape, it's like, no, you, you it better sound good because once it's, once it's like that, there's, unless you want to redo all your work, that's what it sounds like. Um, so it definitely like taught me to like get it right 
in the room. Like that's anybody who uh, I record will probably tell you that I'm I'm kind of a nut about it. Where like, uh, if it doesn't sound good in the room, I don't give a fuck. I'm not putting a mic on anything. It's like everything needs to sound good from from the source first, and that's always been super important to me. Now, with our with our great successes, is always a little bit of failures. What's the first time you put effort into a recording and you felt let down by its outcome? Uh, I mean, every time I recorded my own bands, because that's where that's where I got the most ambitious and that's where I fucked up the most. But I had to 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 learn how to uh, how to do it better next time, you know, and I, I took the most risks on them. So it was probably. Um, I don't know. As as recently as the uh, the first music we put out with Chemical Fix, which essentially was a, a, a different, pretty much the same members before um, we just changed our name. But like you know, all the stuff we recorded was still me kind of like figuring it out a little bit. Um, and I was, you know, my own bands were always my guinea pigs because you know I I I did it for free for them um, because I needed someone to practice on and I took the most risks and they didn't always pay off, but uh, they were risks I learned I shouldn't take, you know, when there's, when there's somebody here paying me to, to make their record. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I've failed a lot. I, you know, I can go back and listen to almost any recording and, you know, there's a lot of them now that I can go back and listen to and I love, but there's also a lot that I can go back and listen to and be like, oh, I hadn't figured this thing out yet. Um, but I think that's a little bit the like uh, an occupational hazard because, you know, I I don't think I'm ever going to be satisfied with my current level of ability. Like I always I always want the record I'm working on now or the record I'm working on next to be my best. Like that's it's just like it's a personal obsession to like always be improving. So going forward, you start this studio and you were just doing friends. How soon did you say, Hey, the doors are open for business. Let's go. Like, give me the rundown on when you felt confident to like go on. And then how was it in the beginning as people were coming to you with their projects? Um, so I was probably only in there for, I don't know, somewhere between three and six months before I was like, I agreed to, to do a record for, for a band that like, you know, there were some people that I sort of loosely knew. Um, the, the first thing that I recorded there, um, besides like, you know, I, I, I tested it with my own band. I, you know, I had to make sure, you know, the, the recording console was hooked up, right? Like, you know, it was a whole process of like getting the, like, there's converters you need. And I had to buy a power supply for this like nineties analog console. So it was a whole thing, but like, I tested it out once on my own band. And then um, the first project that I worked on in there that wasn't that wasn't my own was for the new harmony. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. Dang. It's awesome. So And then that I mean from there, like, you know, I just started like meeting other people through them, through at at this point, I probably had just started playing in drows too. So I was like, 
you know, had, had become close with those guys and just, you know, started meeting people word of mouth, like, Oh, this guy, Wyatt, he's got a studio in a warehouse. Uh, he'll do your record cheap. No, nah, it's always the word of mouth. That's going to get you guys out. And, um, as is going on, what were you active in bands or were you really hard focused on the recordings? Sorry, say that one more time. When you started these recordings with like the new harmony, were you doing other bands? Like where were you at and you're playing with your own bands? Yeah, I was definitely playing with Drowse. Um, like I said, uh, the, the band that would become Chemical Fix was probably playing. I mean, we definitely were writing music together. We were we kind of had not found a, like a way to, it sounds silly now thinking about it, but uh, like, we didn't feel like we just didn't feel like we were part of like the hardcore scene that we wanted to be a part of. We kind of were like, you know, this is after, you know, I kind of am like, I'm, I'm over this, like this West Philly basement thing, but you know, had not sort of like found a way to like transition ourselves into playing the shows we wanted to, wanted to be playing. Um, but yeah, both of those bands were definitely active at the time. Um, I definitely would say Drowse was playing more at the time. But yeah, I mean, it was like, it was a lot of hustle. Like I, I also like, uh, as this is all going on, I'm, I was the manager of a coffee shop for four years and got sucked into that whole like restaurant um, like thing you know, that I'm, I'm sure you've known people who get sucked into it where they, they start thinking that whatever happens in the, in the confines of this business that like, it's not like I was an owner there, but it like, it sort of, it, it, it definitely like felt like I had a lot of responsibility there, but you know, I'm also playing in bands. I'm like, I've, I've kind of put together this studio and I'm trying to do that. And um, definitely a lot of things going on all at once. Um, at that time. Now, I I have to wonder if at any point are you feeling burnout yet or are you just so psyched that you're active, you're doing the things that you want to do? You well, to be honest with you, I I I've been I've been feeling a little burnt out for Are, are we talking now? Cuz cuz I'm a little burnt out right now. No, I'm talking about in, in our in story all- as we are linearly progressing towards today. Fuck. All right. I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, <laughs> hey, if no, you want to just go, we can go backwards. <laughs> I'm always no, going to no, try no. that. <laughs> no, I, I had, I had all the energy in the world until like, literally, I feel like I, I maybe hit my first wall six months ago. Um, but so you, you were know, just active and going. Yeah, no, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll work. I mean, I'll, I'll do a 16 hour recording session and then wake up at five to open the the coffee shop and leave from there and go right to practice and yeah I was like I mean I I had to make money to live and then everything beyond that was like bands recording like just I have to be constantly producing something like I have to be constantly working on something creative I I relate to that fucking heavily (laughs) <laughs> I relate to that fucking heavily. It's a it's a curse, isn't it? No, I, I mean, there's just this active mentality where you have to be doing something. There's always the next thing. 
as soon as that first thing's complete, you've got four other things down the line and you're already thinking like, all right, just do this. What do I got to do for this? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it really, it like there, I mean, I, I talk about it all the time with my, my partner, Alex. Uh, she, she's like always constantly reminding me that, um, I need to like take a moment and like appreciate, uh, my accomplishments as, as they're happening. Cause usually by the time that like I should be, I'm like just worried about like, okay, what's, what's the next thing though? Like that's that, that like, this was cool, but like, I'm not going to like sit and enjoy it. Like I, who's got time for that? I've, I gotta, I gotta keep moving. No, I mean, that's how I've always been. Got to keep it moving to the next thing. So at what point do you start trying to balance doing those longer tours and the different things that eventually bring it to where we are talking about chemical fix and where it's at? Like how long did it take you seating these other bands and traveling and doing these tours before you think something locked on with chemical fix? Cause obviously as a musician and a recording person, you filled in in bands, but like, what do you think overall brought you to the point where of the bands you're working on chemical fix is the one that's really popping right now? Um, I don't know that it was like, I, I think that is always the band that I had. Like, um, I had faith in, um, if, if, if you know what I'm like, I just, I knew that band could like work out whatever kinks we needed to. I knew that I was around the, the group of people that I'm like, this is, this is the one I'm, I really want to sink effort into like you know just like everybody like all the all the musicians in that band like just click together i mean mike who plays drums in that band i mean me and him have played in bands now for almost 10 years like i we know like you know playing a show or writing music together it's almost like i sort of know what he's thinking before he has to say it or vice versa it's just sort of this like this like it's comfort but like there's like some like intuition that's like shared between us that like i don't know i just like i was like this is this is the band that i want to put some some real effort into that's why you got bert that's what you oh bert yeah. yes of course bert king yeah i mean this is the, the you you chose correctly and Dare's biggest supporter and super fan to have as the front man of the band. Yeah, well, you know what's crazy is I had no idea if he could, uh, if what he sounded like, if he. But I just like I knew that he was into a lot of the shit that I was that I was into too. And when like you know I was kind of like kicking around the idea of like oh I want to do a band that sounds sounds like this. I mean you know just sounds like it uh heavily influenced by 2001 bridge nine records um you know i knew that he was into all that stuff and he didn't play an instrument but i had everybody else figured out and uh it was like well why don't you do it why don't, why don't you give it a shot and he sounded exactly like what i thought he was going to sound like uh so yeah i mean that was that was perfect so early on in the band's thing obviously you're playing locally but 
I really always respected the bands that said Philly's not the end of the universe and we need to get out there and on the road. Early on, you guys were hitting the road hard, and I really got to give you a lot of respect for that. Like weekends and doing it. Who took up the mantle of booking this stuff? How did you guys get along? What were some of the better scenes that you were playing earlier on as you guys were pushing? Um, so I, I would say that like uh, Mikey and Bren probably took it on. Um, Bert? Uh, yeah, Bert. I'm sorry, Bert. Uh, Bert King, singer of Chemical Fix. Um, yeah, uh, I would say like the two of them took it on the most, um, as far as booking, you know, it's sort of just like reaching out to other bands, um, like reaching out to like people they knew and other, other places like, uh, booking is just like, that's, that's the one thing that like, I kind of just don't have like the patience for, to be honest with you. Like, you know, I, I, I generally like am a pretty involved like i mean i don't think anybody in the band would disagree with me I, i've always been the, the primary songwriter in chemical fix i obviously i do all the, the recording explain that like, explain that explain that go back to that when you say you're the primary songwriter you're basically by yourself organizing the parts and building like go get into that for me because i always love when a band guy says that but i'm also like that sounds like some bullshit because i'm just a singer who shows up later so uh in in that band uh we generally don't um we get together in a room and we write but uh not we we're not getting together if uh we're not going to getting together and staring at the floor and hoping that somebody comes up with a riff uh you know what i mean like i'll sit at home and i just did it this past weekend i spent the whole day putting together like the skeleton of three different songs, just, you know, uh, recording it, like doing demos of it on my laptop and being like kind of putting, figuring out parts, putting them together. And then I bring it to everybody and we, we workshop it, like parts change, parts get scrapped and replaced, you know, lots of things change, but like point being is, um, I don't, I don't think any of us have the patience to, just sit there and hope for inspiration to come to us. Like, and I honestly, I I'm, I'm a guy who I like, I, I get inspired at eight 30 in the morning. I'm like, Oh, I got an idea for a song. I gotta, I gotta go capture it right now. Um, and that's, that's just like the time of day. That's like, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm firing all on all cylinders. So I'll just, I'll, I'll sort of come up with the loose idea for a song and then, bring it to everybody and we'll we'll work on it together and and mikey does the same too sometimes even even mike does too because he plays obviously he plays bass and fixation he he plays other instruments as well um but he so doesn't all, really he doesn't really have time to write because he's so busy with bitches yeah that's correct <laughs> i love mikey i just gotta fuck with him <laughs> yeah well you don't maybe you don't know but he's uh He's talented he's, beyond what I believe. Okay, I'll take that. Oh no, I was gonna say he's off the market. Man, lucky, lucky guy. Good for him. Lucky you, lucky you and everybody else. <laughs> I love that fucking dude. The fucking triangle, Mikey Balfalco, future, yep. future guest on the podcast as well. Oh god, that'll be chaotic. I can't wait. You didn't want to have both of us on at the same time. We, you're gonna teach me how to do that, and then I'll have that. 
I don't I don't know how to do that. We'll figure it out. So the thing that I really can't express to you and the people listening is that there's a lot of different kind of music coming from Philadelphia and fixation chemical fix directly are like the bands that are stripped down and um, really fucking aggressive hardcore with relationships to the late, like that, that early two thousands fast in your face. There's no giant breakdown. And I know at times it's got to be a pain in the ass when you get offered some shows where it's like, up oh, here's the breakdown band, you know, and you can even see it now with please die as well. You know, like you guys are like flag bearer for like that, that fucking style of hardcore here. And I love that you guys captured it in the way that you did. And now you guys are, are running rampant with it and growing with it. It's fucking awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's just what, it's what we grew up on. And it's like, it's always what I've come back around to. Like, you know, I, I got a lot of love for uh, lots of different types of hardcore, but the, the thing that just like, it just feels most natural for me to play is, you know, I, I come back around to just like the first, the first bands that I, I really got into when I was like, you know, discovering hardcore. I mean, I think a, a lot of it too, for me is like growing up in Boston, like, you know, one of my first shows was have hard, but like, you know, it was also in the wake of like panic and American nightmare. And like, you know, that was, that was still what everyone talked about, even though I like, I missed um, those bands just by a couple of years, um, at least the first time around. Um, you know, that's what like, all of the all the kids who I knew from hardcore shows who are a couple of years older, that was like that was their fucking gold standard. So yeah, I, I checked that out, and that I mean that's really what stuck with me. So you start pushing Chemical Fix, fixations rolling. What are your some of your first places that you're really winning over outside of Philadelphia? Um, I would say Midwest. Um, we like we what felt- town specifically? Um, well, we, we had a, a, a really close friendship with, uh, a band from St. Louis called time and pressure who really, Fuck like, yeah. they put on for us. Um, they, they helped us like come play out the, come play out there. Like they, they did a lot for, uh, I mean, the dude James in that band, um, like booked all the shows in, in St. Louis. Um, and like, you know, he like threw together a tour, a couple tours for us to do together. And we just like felt pretty immediately welcomed by like the, the scene that they really had helped build up um, for themselves. Like that we just felt very much welcomed into it. So that was a place that we pretty immediately felt like uh, very, like I wouldn't say we like, it'd be a stretch to be like, we feel at home here because you know, we've only played there maybe three times now, but like we definitely felt welcome there that's awesome and i think it's important we had a lot of love in chicago and st louis when we were traveling eons ago and it's important to have those places where you know they're going to be good halfway across the country because you know it's coasts are always solid texas has always been fucking great but if you can't win over the midwest you're gonna have a hard time traveling as a band because so much of the country is not on a coast and those towns that really come out hard for you in those Midwest areas, I'm telling you, because they may not get every tour, the kids are fantastic. 
I think that's what I have always loved about doing. I mean, I don't love the eight hour drives between every show, but soft. what I do love. That's the only way to do it. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's unavoidable. You, you have three or four pillows when you tour. Yeah. Uh, we definitely do not think that far ahead. <laughs> you don't even bring um, pillows. Hold on. Stop. You don't even bring pillows on the tour. Yo, I forget a sleeping bag. Half the tours I go on. Listen, you know how many have, fucking sleeping bags I bought on tour? Because I've been like, fuck, I forgot a sleeping bag again. All, right, all the time, have, Joe. We're going to have to get with Alex to get you like a checklist because, uh, you know, touring and traveling and, and being a punker out there doing it on the road, you got to you gotta live in them eight-hour overnight drives to get to the next place. And, and, and you got to be comfortable, too. You can't have a bad neck. You can't. I mean, you're always looking at the internet and fucking – you know, doing recordings. We got to make sure that you have the, the proper spinal support. Yeah. My back is all fucked up right now. Yeah. I'm not doing it right. Um, no, I'm, I'm always poorly, poorly prepared for tour, but, um, no, back to what you're saying is like, you're absolutely right. That those, those places where they don't get every tour, those are the best places to play when you're like, you're a, like a young, like nobody band because kids there are just like, fucking thrilled to have a show sometimes like uh, when you really like are like in some like when you're when you're in the midwest like the show you're playing might be the show they have for the next two weeks or the next month like and everybody comes out to that show because like it you know they don't they don't get to pick which three this week they want to go to fuck yeah exactly uh, so they're excited as fuck and even if they don't know a band, they might just give it a shot just because. And that's what's really cool about it, too. Yeah. And like, you know, they they check it out and like then they they're they're back the next time where they're like, you know, they're back and they've like they went home with a record and like came back and know the lyrics now, um, which is awesome. Like that's that's exactly what what you hope. Like, you know, I think the hope whenever you play a show is uh, there's going to be some people in the room who don't have any idea who the fuck your band is. And you, you want to convert them. Like you, you, you want to, you know, put on a show that's good enough that they are like, okay, I want to know who this band is. Now, what do you think really started getting more people to know you? Was it just a touring or do you think, was the what release do you think people started getting into? Like, when do you think it wasn't just you guys going out there and hoping to win people over? When did you start feeling like you had people excited to see you? Uh, probably when we put out our our LP last year, it felt like that was a that was a big step up for us. I mean, it's like you know, I I, I think it was like just in terms of like what what we were putting out there musically was a lot better, but I think people also just like, um, there's a big difference between a band that's put out a demo and a band that's put out an LP. Um, and I, I don't even know if, you know, the average person realizes what that, like, I don't think people, break it down for us, break it down. I mean, it's so much work that goes into putting, I mean, it's only, it's like 17 minutes long. It's nine songs, but like, yo, that is, it's a fucking lot of work to, to produce those 17 minutes worth of music. And I mean, you see a lot of bands that don't make it past that. Like they finish an LP and then they're like, ah, oh, fuck this. I'm over it. 
or like they lose the plot musically like you know um i don't know i i think we we went for it and i'm i i'm really um like proud of that record like i think we executed exactly what we what we intended to do and i think beyond that i think people um people just see a band that's like put out an lp as like a it it sort of validates you to a lot of people in a way like this isn't just a band that has a demo anymore this band like actually made a record well i think modern times the demo didn't the demo comes so quick now like the demo is almost a debut now with this band camp release stuff and I, and i've said this recently about stuff we'd like to do with shadow realm and with punishment i i want to play some songs live and 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 let them live before they just go on the tape and they're locked in and i can remember specifically bands playing real big shows I'm like hey here's a track and they would play it and by the time it was recorded it had some some semblance of what i had heard live but they had some variants because the band went back to the studio said this didn't work but i feel like unfortunately in your trade being that you are the recording guy people are quick to record not letting a song kind of have a moment to see where it is in the wild and then the next thing comes is the demo doesn't live too long because right off the bat somebody's going to put out 500 tapes of anything and the ep is almost skipped at times some of the best stuff that's ever been put out in hardcore wasn't the lp but a seven inch first and with the vinyl problems obviously the ep kind of you know it still comes out but you know you know the the problems there oh yeah absolutely i mean it's kind of it's kind of a dead format well it kind of smothered the opportunity to spend five bucks on a seven inch and check out a band and then the band is like oh we're waiting seven months for this thing so the old way of we're going to put out we're going to be a band and just play some songs it was like let's get these kids listen to the music first and then you're locked into this track that may not be and i can tell you some of my favorite bands from the 90s the demo ver- the, the demo varies a lot from or blah it varies greatly to what they would put out on the seven inch. And then some of the songs that were just about good enough, one or two of them might make it to the LP. And that's like uh, the hidden thing with the satisfaction is death of desire. Most of those songs were already on EPs or splits or part of another release. And then there was a couple brand new Hatebreed songs. And I think the process to a good band is working some of these songs live, seeing what works, see how they react, see how the band feels playing them. And all that's lost because immediately it's tracked. It's out for mass consumption and it, you know, the capitalization of it and the, the organic process and the writing and how it lives live got kind of smothered in all this. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's something we've been talking about a lot, a lot too, because chemical fixes has been writing again recently. And, um, you know, we've always been like the band that's so excited about the song we wrote last week that we're going to play it on, uh, the tour that we're doing next week, even though it's probably not ready to be played. Like we're just, we're, but what's ready. Ready is like, Hey, we well, know. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we also found like, you know, with, with there being nine songs, like we were playing a lot of it live before then. Cause all we had was like five songs we had put out prior. Um, so we were playing a lot of it live and um, some of it, we weren't, some of it, we were like, 
you know, you kind of don't want to get sick of it before it comes out. Um, and we certainly have a habit of, of finding ourselves doing that. Um, but we've also been talking about some stuff that we tried on the last record that, you know, we, we took it out on tour and live we're like, Oh uh, yeah, this, this is, this doesn't work. It sounds good, but uh, it's, you, you, there's something specific that comes to mind and like, it's too long. It takes too long to get to the part you want to get it to. And now, uh, but so it's just like, it's a lesson to, to take on to the next record, you know? I also think when the interesting things about fast hardcore, which sucks to call it, they have to, de- to defer or differentiate fast from just hardcore. You know, uh, Black Flag is a great example when they start getting into those dirgier build up, like fuck you moments. And when I first ex- was exposed to that stuff, I was thrown off because I just assumed they all would sound more like the faster stuff. But there is that weird relationship between the bands who love to play fast and hard and how they get slowly obsessed with those like dirgy, slow buildups. And so sometimes I think in the general growth of a band and what they're playing, you'll see that. And I wonder, I've always wondered if you guys have ever thought of that as like an element to, to play with, or if you guys have espoused like that, we'll never really kind of go in that kind of like direction of breaking it up a bit. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're experimenting with like slowing it down a little bit, but probably not, not in, not in the way that you're talking about. Um, just, you know, I, I can only play like a DB part for, so long before even I start to get bored. And uh, I don't know, when's the last time you saw kids circle pit at a hardcore show? Like it's starting to come around. It's not, it's <laughs> not. And and honestly, it was never really the biggest thing here. So seeing it here shows you that the newer kids, the TikTokers, the post coveters, they're going to be the ones that are going to implement that more so than the standard that was there before all this. Well, yeah. So, so point being is like, you know, um, experimenting with like, you know, a little more, a little more mid tempo. Cause that's, I mean, those are the parts that, that click live anyway. And, you know, just seeing some of it's, it's more actually our, our, we've learned a little bit from taking the last record on tour like song structures, uh, like what does and doesn't work. So it's just something to keep in mind doing the next one. You know, that's, that's all it is. So how did you get linked up with the label? With safe inside? Yeah. I had no idea. I'll be straight up with you. I think they messaged our Instagram and, uh, it's confusing. Cause that guy's name actually is Bert. Um, so Bert but contacted Bert. Bert contacted Bert, correct? Um, or he like hit up the band's Instagram and and Bert responded to Bert. Um, yeah, I don't know. He just wanted to put out a flexi for us, and he's like, "Hey, we'll we'll do that, and then if it goes well, like I want to do do like an LP for you guys." And we're like, "Okay, sure." And um, uh, you know, there weren't like we were like a band that barely had played any shows. We barely had any music out. He was like, you know, talking about an LP already. And we weren't exactly like 
getting a ton of offers like left and right. So we were like, sure, you want to you want to sink money into our band? That's fine. I thought that dude wasn't going to see a dime of his money back when he uh, when he pressed the record, but. I didn't, I honestly didn't care. I was like, it's not, I mean, he wants to do it. That's fine. He can take that risk. And so then what was the, what was the process going into the, the next record? Which one are you talking about? Still chemical fix? Or are you talking about fixation? Well, that's what I was I, actually, I should, I should track back because you have a hand in both of these. And I, and I meant to say that, but I was kind of like in my head trying to think of a way to bridge this. So on one hand, you have this chemical fix. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you're you're obviously you're still over there with Dan White and the fucking fixation gang. Is Dan still on fixation already? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he better be. He's a fucking shredder. So I mean, you'll hear it tomorrow. That the, I, I hate to admit it, but I think the drums are the best part of the record. Dan killed it. Don't cap, don't cap anyone up. Never cap I, anybody I, up beside you. Especially yourself. not Dan, because he's a like aside from that, he's a scumbag, but <laughs> but so, he's he's also my scumbag. So how do you balance the other side of that? Because I, I I never quite obviously like to tour to tour, especially in this area, everyone's filled in with different bands, but did you think that having two separate bands doing two separate record labels and do two two separate touring things was beneficial or did it detract from any kind of creativity or opportunities? Like, do you think that there was more bonuses than, you know, minuses from that? Like that's, I think where I want to start. And then I'd like to walk around and talk about fixation for a bit as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I haven't figured out how to balance them yet. If, if I can be honest, it's, it's, it's a lot. To do you to dump as much creatively into, or do the other people hold more sway in fixation? Well, so it's different. I mean, like I, um, you know, I, I don't really write any of the music for, you know, like I'll be there and I'll, I'll lend like, uh, I'll lend an ear and I'll like give input on stuff. You know, sometimes when it comes to like, Oh, I have these layers. Could we like, you know, cut this part down or make this part longer so I can like do what I want to do here. But other than that, I don't really, I don't have to write musically for that. And I don't write lyrics in chemical fix. So what I do creatively for them, like I wouldn't say it's even a question of more or less. It's just really, it's such a different thing. um, What I do in each band. That's pretty awesome. It's cool. I do. I do like having those those two separate outputs. Um, they it, but, it's definitely like a it, it challenges a really different part of my brain. So, I'm trying to think of the better way to explain this to people not listening. So, chicken and an egg, because I can't recall which one was first starting fixation or chemical fix. So, like, how did you how did you jump into one to the other? Like we should kind of break that down for people. Cause I kind of just yada yada the fixation element to this. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's messy history there. Uh, so chemical fix, I think probably predates fixation. I re- that's how only- I, that's why I was talking about chemical fix first. Cause I remember hearing about chemical fix first. And then we were talking about damn white potentially being in shadow realm. And they're like, Dude, he's he's really busy. He's in this band, and now he's also doing fixation. I'm like, who the fuck is fixation? 
And that's how I found out about fixation was from that. Yeah. So um, I think chemical fix predated fixation a little bit, not by much. Um, but um, I was not in fixation at, at the beginning, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, and neither was Mike Walsh. So, uh, you know, at the time, the only shared member between the two was was Mikey Pafalco. So then you were basically recruited by his suave attitude and bravado to join his band. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a way to put it. Um, I mean, how much, how much you want to get into this? As much as you're comfortable with laying, we don't need drama, you know, oh, and this is just, no, I'm saying, this is just a point of reference for people because, I I always recall like when I was doing this linearly, my notes were like chemical fix, and then I had a question mark. I had to jump in the fixation, so yeah. that's kind of where I was at. So how would why don't you walk about how you ended up in fixation? So um, you know, like I I had been recording fixation everything from like the first demo they did. Like you know we we worked together all the time. Like I you know, was kind of there with the band in that sense all along the way. Um, and like, obviously also being in chemical fix with Mikey, um, like me and him have been super close for a long time. And, uh, when they kicked the old singer out, um, they were kind of at a loss for what to do. Like they had, they had Bob fill in for one show, but, they they weren't sure like how to continue on from there like they knew that he wasn't going to do it um as a permanent thing you know he was just gonna it was gonna be one time and he was uh helping him out like it was just like a fun thing it was never going to be permanent um and uh when fixation originally formed i remember having the thought i was like they didn't have a singer um and I, I always kicked myself because I always in the back of my mind, I was like, I think I might want to give that a shot again, but I don't know. I guess I felt shy and I, I didn't, I didn't speak up at the time that I wanted to give it a try. And then when they kicked the, the old singer out, um, this time around, I was like, I just want to try it. I just, I want to let them know that I would be interested in giving it a try. And I just, I came to a practice with, and had written some some lyrics to a song or two that they had and just gave it a shot. And they kind of decided for like, it was going to be this whole thing that I was like, well, we got to talk about if I really have time to do both of the, both these and, you know, work, work the two jobs I work. And, um, and then I went to a show like a couple of days later and like, I saw like three different people there who were like, so I heard you're going to be in fixation now. I was like, well, I hadn't even decided that, but I guess I guess so. So, yeah, kind of kind of bullied in into it after after I uh, tried it out. But no, um, I mean it's cool. Uh, no, I, it's it's a thing that happens with hardcore a lot. Is sometimes the first, or I mean, look at all the old school bands. I mean, there's been a million singers for AF for Chromax, etc way early on 
So it's like not, it seems like an out of place thing to like, Hey, this guy didn't work out. So we shifted over. But I also think maybe you can explain this better. And I, I had a little conversation with Maddie about this as an instrumentalist on stage, you're locked into your instrument and keeping time and playing. And there's a whole different gamut of things to worry about. But when you're performing and you just hold the mic, there's kind of, for me, I always thought there was, I might play bass early on, but I always found there was a little bit more excitement and you kind of have a more surreal experience being the person holding the mic. It's interesting because I'm far less comfortable doing it, to be honest with you. Um, I feel really comfortable with a bass because I've been doing it consistently uh, for like 10 years and, you know, holding a mic is something that I didn't do for almost a decade. Um, and I'm, I'm still kind of working through like an, an awkward phase with that where like, I don't know, I joined and we played three shows and then COVID hit and we didn't do anything for a while and just worked on the record, which, you know, that obviously is a, an environment I feel comfortable in. And I'm, I'm still sort of like working out the kinks of like, being the vocalist in a band um it just feels really unfamiliar to me and uh, uh you know i i'm i'm a lot more comfortable like like you said like locked into an instrument like it's, it's almost like a thing to hide behind for me and um i don't know i don't know if you know this about me i i have like a, a pretty intense amount of like anxiety like it's specifically social anxiety um i don't know i don't know if that's something that other people can read on me or not, but like I, I do. And so like, um, you know, playing a show where, you know, for the most part, people are usually watching the the singer of, of a band. I, I watch the drummer because I think that's fucking amazing that anyone can do that. But I know that most people watch the singer and that idea makes me pretty uncomfortable because I don't really like to be um, seen. I don't really like, to like feel like attention is on me, at least in a big, a big group. Like, you know, I can handle like a small group of friends or when, you know, four people in the room when I'm working on a record, like that's, I can totally handle that. But for the most part, I, I do like to pretty much, you know, hang in back and uh, sort of, sort of observe more than, than I like to be seen. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely very different. I don't know. I think that um, there's there's a way that some of the better vocalists are reserved people privately because there's a there's a sense of who you are on stage, who you are when you don't have the mic in front of you. Right. And I know um, you kind of rolled into the beginning of COVID being the dude. So there was like that anticipation of the music bef- without would you have like, did you even have any performances during COVID or did you, because of COVID, there was none of that? No, we didn't do anything. I mean, we shot like a live session at, at the studio, but that's it. I, I played three or four shows before everything shut down. Yeah. Cause I remember Bob, um, after this hardcore, the vocalist shift happened, Bob played the record release. Yep. And then I remember being told like, yo, why it's going to sing. I'm like, that's sick. <laughs> you know, like, and I mean, you're not a small dude. So you always have this like weird, I, there's a weird way you step as you're singing sometimes. And I'm always like, cause you don't have like, you don't have like the nineties death threat, hardcore kind of like swag when you sing, 
but you have the two mic hold and you're a tall dude. So I'm always like, you definitely have a presence up there. Whether or not you feel comfortable with it, there's a presence with you, you know? Well, I, I, I guess my height is to my advantage there then. Yeah. I always thought, I mean, I, I always, got the, uh, I got the, I got the slender man presence. Dude, well, that, the, that's the it. Your kind of presence. You kind of, you kind of have this like super sleek, like movements, but you're not, you're not the crazy aggressive mic thrower. The guy will punch you in the face of the mic. You kind of do have some reservation and I could see it when you say it, but, um, I mean, I, I do. And I, I mean, I, I talk about it. You let, I mean, the record that tomorrow, it, um, I'm not, I'm not private about it. Not anymore. Anyway. Now thinking about this, Fixation definitely plays some shows with Chemical Fix. When you guys get offered shows between them, how do you do? You ever get offered like, "Hey, do you want to do Fixation or do you want to do Chemical Fix?" Like, oh my I know god, I've me said, and Mikey get this all the time. And, and I've even and I've even said it a couple of times, like, "Hey, which one of them guys are like?" Because I know sometimes some of your members have other bands. So, like, yeah, is it hard to balance which band gets to play which show sometimes? Yeah, I actually prefer when um, that option is not given to us. Yeah. Um, because that's usually uh, like, you know, it's kind of like a sideline conversation that me and Mikey got to be like, okay, which one? Like, you know, which one, which one are we like feeling like excited about right now? Which one, um, like, you know, they're, like which one it has other stuff going on. Like maybe, maybe it's better for this one to play because the other one's got a lot going on. Like, um, that's always a tough. It's like which, which of your kids is your favorite? Like that's that's how it. Like, you you don't you don't want to pick. And then you know, then there's also like, there's other members that like might feel slighted because you pick the other band you know um so yeah i think we generally prefer it when people just tell us which one they want and we have been trying more to keep them separate we uh we did a two-week tour last year where we were on double duty and it, that sucked it's not a you good say time it sucked huh i was going to get to because yeah you did it you did a whole tour through the midwest yeah went out to out to prom Corps, now known as act like you know um yeah. I mean, it made sense on paper. And then, um, I don't know, it was just like, there was no time to like, like chill after playing a set. Cause I had to do another one. Like, and on that tour, um, most of the shows fixation was billed below. So I had to go from a set where I was singing, which, um, as, as you know, is, um, not, not the best feeling thing in the world physically to uh, like, just like wiping the sweat off as quickly as possible and like setting my base up to play. Do you think there's a emotion, uh, emotional or adrenaline drop going from one to the other? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's draining to, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it again like and uh, there it would be really hard to find a scenario where i would 
be willing to do it again in either either order because they like you know i I do want to give everything to whatever band i'm playing a show with and um yeah i think especially going from singing to playing bass like just feeling feeling a little like um low energy like i don't know i just like screamed about personal shit for 20 minutes and now i'm just gonna like play (laughs) play bass as if i didn't do that you know it's like kind of a weird kind of a weird jump to make fair enough um when you were doing stuff with chemical fix and fixation was moving is there times when people within the bands are upset that the other band gets a pick or because you and mikey are kind of like the the front runners there there's not really that kind of engagement of like well what the fuck are they playing for and we're not well i i think the bands are actually now less competitive than they used to be because uh the old singer liked to try to make them competitive. Well, that's why he's not in the band anymore. No yeah. I think um, it's also, I think the smart move was to also, and, and, you know, obviously I don't think you had too much of an option on it, but I think it was good for you guys to have a different label. Cause that would have been fucking weird. You know, like if you guys, yeah, had the same absolutely. Label. Absolutely. Because then, you know, then you're going to be stuck on that thing you just said where you don't think you would want to do it and um i i i see differences in the two bands obviously you're you're much better looking and taller and cooler than uh bert will ever be but um there's just a there's a there's a chemical fix i almost say i said it bob i think chemical fix is more the the dirtier people might listen to chemical fix i think fixation more the cleaner hardcore people like it that was the easiest way to describe it. That's that's interesting. I I kind of look at fixation as being a little bit more between punk and hardcore, and Chemical Fix feels a little bit more squarely hardcore to me. But you know, that's that's just my opinion, and like I I I might be too close to even be able to see um like clearly which like which band is what, but that's, that's always been my take on it. Um, as far as like intent goes, but, yeah. um, I think it's just a blessing to be in two separate bands and both doing so well. I mean, there's a lot of bands specifically that, you know, being the band camp band or the demo band or the band that can play a basement is where the, Oh man, we fucking killed it. But to do, be able to do tours with two separate bands, we have LPs on two separate labels with different bands. That's a that's an accolade, and that's a that's a cool thing. I think you should. I hope you you understand the factor of like Philadelphia alone just having bands like that, and then two of them. It, it, it's it is a blessing, man. I hope you do understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think we all just we we all grew up with the idea of like oh like real bands tour. Fuck so, yeah. So we we do that. I don't know. I that's just always been my understanding is like real bands like leave. They don't just play home all the time. So um I don't know, I don't really I, I, I don't think about it well much. You know, sometimes like uh I when it's been too long, it's like we gotta go 
do something. But like, other than that, like, you know, it's just, it's, it's just kind of always been understood is like, you know, tour as much as, as you can, as, as much as people are willing to book you. When you went into the process of doing the new record, was there, did you, was there ever a, like a separation between fixation and chemical fix? What material ends up on a, on a project or. Yeah. Um, it, well, so a lot of the fixation LP was written prior to me joining. Um, I would say probably two thirds of it. Um, it got reworked a little bit. So l- luckily um, that was, that was not an issue in that sense. And like, you know, I, I do write most of um, like we were talking about earlier. Like I, I come up with a, a, a majority of the parts for chemical fix um, and Mikey more so does that for fixation. And like I, like I mentioned, like, I don't, I don't have a lot to do with writing the actual music for fixation. And me and him have plenty of overlap in like the stuff that we're like constantly referencing. But um, we also like, there's plenty of stuff that one of us likes and the other, like maybe that's not the thing or we're not aware of it. Like we, we do, we do have a lot of difference in taste as well. And um, I just, I think the, the common ground we find for both bands is different. If that if that makes sense. No, I mean, well, I mean, you're for both working on projects. You know, you, you have to differentiate, and I can. I, there does become the time where you have to pick and choose. You know. Yeah, uh, and there's there's, you know, sometimes it it has been a conversation. I mean, just letting both bands have their own identity is honestly the easiest way. Like, you know, I sent something to him the other day. He's like, I don't know this this honestly sounds like it might be more for fixation and um, just having like the ability to, to hear that and like sort of just understand like this fits the other's identity better is okay. That's easy enough. Um, Have you ever showed up to play a show with a band like gel, which you've played with, with both bands a lot and they not know which one of your bands is playing like, Oh, which one is this? (laughs) No, no, I don't think they, I don't think that's happened. Um, there, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe people are confused about who we are, but um, I don't know. It may, I, I, I'm not having that conversation where they're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Fixation is awesome. Like, yeah, that's not what this band is called. Um, it doesn't help that our, our names are close. Again, they didn't have so much overlap at one point in time, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know if, if people are confused about it, uh, they're not talking to me about it. Now, this, the secrets we keep record, mm-hmm. uh, we played a song lacrimose mm-hmm. and I have to wonder if you're that dude that like scours these, uh, lyrics like, uh, especially like that term. Like that's something straight so, out of what? HP. That's up straight up out of HP Lovecraft level lexicon shit. Like that's not really being thrown around on the subway in Philadelphia. So you know, I'd love to know where you, you drop that. 
it's funny that you bring that up because you you goofed on me for it too when you played the song and i was going to bring it up i originally had a different name for that song and um i was gonna call it uh i my like working title for it was crybaby like kind of poking fun at myself a little bit um but then i i didn't know what the word lacrimose meant i heard it in a movie and i had to look up what it meant and when i looked it up and read what it meant in the dictionary it was right around when i was working on that song and i specifically named it because i knew nobody was going to know what that word means and that they would look it up so it it kind of has the same meaning as what my working title was but um you like i knew that uh, uh, some people would have to look it up to know what it meant and read the definition of it which is like when i read the def definition of it i was like that's so spot on to like what i was going for anyway so no i didn't i didn't know the word at all and i had to look it up because i heard it uh in a different context and i something about looking it up uh just like hit me and i was like that's that's the word i'm using no i like it i like uh i like breaking it down I just had to know if you were just like going some fucking next level road scholar, old English shit that we need to be aware of. No, not at all. I think I actually write um, pretty plainly. I, I don't really, um, I don't, I don't like to use a lot of, a lot of metaphors. I don't like to, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty on the nose with what I'm talking about. Do you find any enjoyment from expressing yourself lyrically that, has a fulfillment that a bass in front of you wouldn't, or do you find ta it being taxing to have to write lyrics and stand up there and say the things like out in public? Well, both actually. Um, I, I absolutely find a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, benefit, a lot of, uh, what the fuck's the word I'm looking for? A lot of, um, release from like writing this stuff down because um i don't know i i don't i'm not a person who has a really easy time uh communicating like what's going on uh for me mentally and emotionally and uh i mean that's why the record's called the secrets we keep is because like i'm i'm very closed off uh because i just have i have a hard time communicating like about serious stuff with people in my life. And it's something I've been uh, concerned about with the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's something I need to work on, but like, you know, I mean, the record's like very, it's very confessional for me. It's like a lot of like stuff that I've like kept to myself for, for 15 years that like, you know what, this is, this is a way that I feel comfortable communicating it. Um, like, in in music i feel i feel comfortable enough i feel safe enough to like say this stuff that i that i otherwise don't it sounds like you're a lot more introverted Absolutely. than um the average front man but i think there's also a special power to that because you have a little bit more reserved and hidden there that you can expose in words yeah i mean that's that's what, I mean, that's the appeal of singing in a band for me is to like be able to 
express express that stuff like communicate through through different language um but the you know the other side of that is that it is taxing to do like you know playing shows like i i I get very anxious before playing with that band which is not something i experience with with chemical fix. Cause it's, you know, I, it, it's not so personal for me. Like, you know, it is because it's like music that I wrote, but it's like, I don't, I don't have to like, um, I don't feel as exposed as, as I do like singing those songs. If, if that makes sense. It would that be a taxing moment for you or like a detracting point to perform? Um, I mean, a little bit, but you know, you work through it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. I'm still just like figuring it out. Cause we, we've been kind of laying low while, while we had this, you know, we, we weren't interested in playing a whole lot before the record was out because I don't, I'm not, I'm not singing any of the old songs with the old singer that are about fucking nothing. Um, well, I mean, if you look at, if you look at your timeline, you legitimately go, you you do the three song thing, COVID hits, and it's really that crazy ass show Bob put on out in the suburbs. That's like the debut of you, and a year and a half later, you're playing Underground Arts with fucking Earth Crisis and shit. And yeah, well, done... that didn't happen, did it? Oh fuck, that's right. Holy somebody fuck. somebody got COVID. Fuck. That's right. You guys did the fucking. You guys did the fucking tour. Then you guys were supposed to do that, and you fucking didn't. Because I was thinking to myself, the band's growth really has been quick now. And I and I and we talked about it through the Chemical Fix thing. So you really haven't had the opportunity over like, let's say the same time Chemical Fix had with Bert to feel good about vocalists. Because would you play like six or seven shows? maybe and then you guys did that tour last year then you came home oh yeah fuck you guys really didn't have that same fucking that same time to develop you in a frontman position and i you know how many shows we have had to drop off with fixation because every time every time we're gonna finally play a show somebody gets fucking covid the shark attack show back in what was it november december yeah november you guys were just playing couldn't yep one of us got COVID. Chemical Fix played instead because it was it was Dan White, and then this time around I got it. Fuck that! Thank you for reminding me because I'm like I have notes like written down like like a like the timeline. And yeah, I was and I was wondering how you would sit and and I didn't I didn't expect you to go deep into your your nervousness and also it's kind of like it makes sense even more as you're talking about being pensive towards performing because you really haven't had you really haven't had the same amount of time to kind of get in with it. Let's use the vernacular of our time. You haven't normalized performing like this yet. You know, no, like I, still... I definitely, I haven't like found my, like my groove with it. It's still, it's still, a, it's still commendable though. If you have these kind of apprehensions and yet you're able to draw from within yourself and able to perform. You know, it's like a, a, a regardless of regardless of the apprehension, your uh, introversion, 
it's important that you test yourself, especially because you probably do spend so much time with earmuffs on listening to other music. I, you know, I mean, me and you've gotten, I probably, I probably bullied you into having conversations on the telephone longer than you'd ever like, which is what I do to a lot of my friends. Oh, I'm, I'm very familiar. I don't mind though. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a phone guy. I so like, yeah, I, I like a long phone call. I've, I've bullied many people into becoming phone people. It's like my thing. But I, I, I would never I would have never assumed until this conversation that you would talk so much about being apprehensive towards it. So then it really does come down to, I think, just putting this out there. The record comes out, you'll balance the schedule between recording, chemical fix, and fixation. And I honestly also think as people gravitate towards songs. There's always this hardcore frontman thing where you're seeing the dickhead on his phone. You're seeing the motherfucker who's like, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to see this band. And when the reactions come, it does level up the self-esteem. It does invigorate you and get you like a little shot of adrenaline, you know, like a little like like a little hit. Like, yeah, these fuckers are into this. And I yeah, think- for sure. And like I I that's kind of why we've been laying low a little bit because the record's not out is because I, I think it's, um, it's a, it's a record that I, I don't know. I think the songs are good. I think, I think they will connect with some people. Um, and I think that they don't, they maybe right now don't connect the same way live, which is why, you know, when we have played, it's been like, sort of a discouraging feeling playing like 85% a record that nobody's heard. Like, you know, when we play the three promo songs, like the, the difference in the room between that and the shit nobody's ever heard before is pretty, pretty fucking clear. Um, so I, I think that's a piece of it. And like, you know, I don't, I don't even mean to bring that stuff up like uh, to, to like speak negatively about it. I just, you know, it's kind of just in the interest of like, you know, just being a little more transparent about like what. No, I love it. I love the I like, love the depth you know, that you're giving people. Yeah, I mean that's that's just kind of that's kind of where I'm at with it, and like, I'm I'm cool talking about it with whoever is well, uh, is interested in hearing. I like that you're exposing the 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 side that people won't see because you're supposed to be the the confident the you know almost avant-garde crazy person to be out front but you'll find you know look at west look at henry rollins you look at you know george hirsch there's tons of people who literally up front can man a band but privately would despise the thought of having to have like a fucking conversation with so many different people it's overwhelming at times there is that duality and wanting to hold a microphone and singing in front of people and also the pure, you know, not terror, but the exhaustion emotionally, the need for alone time and introspection. So I think you just follow in along more of that footstep than anything like that whole little path of people. Yeah. I mean, I, all I can do, like, I, I can't just like be someone, someone like I, you know, as much as I would like to, I can't wake up and just be this person who's like confident. And you were talking earlier, like have that like death threat swagger or whatever. 
whatever it might be like as much as i can say i would like to be that person tomorrow i i, I know that i'm not going to be so i i think i just have to lean into like and that's what i'm doing is like a, this is who i am this is this is how i feel about it it's it's kind of a challenge for me but i also i love these songs so i like i power through it well walk us through this record walk me through your favorites any kind of special notation as opposed to i like this song and this is why like give me some rundown on some of these tracks and then we'll uh we'll walk you out of here all right yeah i mean i i don't it, it's hard to pick favorites um i really like the first the first song a lot um there's two songs that have uh, guest vocals on it. Uh, the first being Motion Sickness, which has Josh from Life's Question on it. Um, I like that song a lot. I really like the, the part he adds. Um, and then uh, Tyler Mullen sings on the, the song that we put out a couple weeks ago, Purgatory. Um, and he's someone who I've always had a lot of respect for like as a person as a writer as a as a front man i know that uh that's that's not a role he's currently in anymore but i mean regardless still of that of I've, still a part of him I, it's a part of him and it's a part of him that i've i've always admired and you know he's somebody i've gotten to be pretty good friends with over the past couple we of years recorded so. 78 different things he's played <laughs> yeah yep yeah, that's that is that is accurate i've recorded him uh i have yet to see him pick up a guitar or a bass but i've recorded him singing that, and that playing prick's drums. probably gonna just pick it up and be good at it because that's how a lot of these guys are yeah just, like, i mean he's shit just, up he's, and they're fucking he's a, awesome he's a talented he's just a talented person and uh yeah i, I had a, a song that i you know i I thought maybe was a subject matter that he would find relatable. And, you know, there was, there was a gap where to be honest with you, I was like, I, I need something else going on here. Cause I need to fucking breathe for a second. So, um, you know, we talked about like maybe having somebody else on it. I was like, I can see if he wants to do it. And he like, he, he kind of took the, the song I had written and wrote a couple extra lines for it. And I think he killed that part. It's, you know, it's my favorite part of the song. Um, yeah, I like those two a lot. Um, I mean, it's they they all like they're it's it's hard to pick because it it feels so much like a, a cohesive thing to me. And I know everybody probably thinks that about the their own record, but you know, it just it it's eleven songs that all feel like part of the same thing. Like it's a lot of similar subject matter. Um, it's a lot of. Um, you know, like, uh, I think it's the, a lot of the guitar stuff in it is really clever. And a lot of people like to draw like the immediate comparisons to AN and blacklisted and right brigade, which like all of that makes sense to me too. But what nobody talks about is how much Mikey is straight up lifting AFI riffs and working them in there. Um, and like, there's a lot of like nerve agent stuff going on too. Like, I think a lot of the music um, that they wrote for it is really cool and like has has a uh, like a an interesting mix of influences that you can find in it. Um, and then 
I don't know. I, I go back and forth between hating it and it being my favorite. But right now, I'm really loving Fuck Matthew Elliott Green. That's a, that's a song I'm liking a lot right now. <laughs> can't wait to fucking hear it. I can't wait to fucking hear it. It's definitely the stupidest lyrics on the record, but I don't care. I mean, you're talking to a guy who wrote a song called Eat Shit. Yeah. I mean, I wrote 10 thoughtful songs, and then I was just angry for one of them. Anger is a huge part of what we do. Yes, now, it is. <laughs> run us down what's going to happen between the time people listen to this what's coming up for the studio records that are due out or coming close that you're excited for and then the entire catalog that's going to come through from you know what's going on with chemical fix and fixation and then we'll wrap this baby up yeah so uh i don't think he's uh announced it yet but i um Bob is working on a show that's going to be our, our release show um, for the Fixation record. And we don't have a ton planned at the moment. Uh, you know, different members have like some some stuff going on, like between bands and, you know, just like other life stuff um, that uh, we don't have any concrete plans. Um, but it's definitely something we're probably going to be talking about in the next little bit, um, given that the record's coming out tomorrow. I'm probably going to probably going to go play some shows on it. Um, and then, uh, chemical fix is writing again. I, I really no no idea. Like even, I mean, it's probably for another record cause that's, you know, the, the most, uh, that's the thing that makes the most sense to do. But, um, again, for that real, no, no concrete plans. All I know is I have a, a Dropbox folder with like 25 fucking ideas to sort through. But um, yeah, uh, other than that, there's a lot of stuff coming out this year that uh, I'm really excited about um, that. I, that I got to work on um, life's question record is coming out very Phenomenal. shortly. Phenomenal. Oh, it's so good. I mean, just absolute genius, genius songwriting. Uh, I hate how good they are at writing songs. It's it's stupid. Like it's not fair that that their brains work that way, that they can write that music. And I tell so I specifically tell Ridge and Ridge, their guitar player, Nick, their drummer, this all the time that it is a miracle that they found each other in the world because their weirdness just so perfectly matches one another. Why like, that's kind of like the formula that made that everything from the band is like those two. Yeah, it's just like their their like musical compatibility is just beyond me because they both have such a weird style that works so well together. It's incredible. So that record's really good. Um the Excide record that should be coming out later this year um is one that i'm really fond of um i mean i just have a a lot of admiration for tyler uh who sings in that band who who writes a lot of the music i mean he's just another phenomenal musician songwriter all around i mean we took him on tour with chemical fix as as a second guitarist he plays shows with us every once in a while and i mean the reason i asked him is because like not only is he like a great musician he's also just like he's a he's just like a really like good person to be around 
Like he's, you, you know, the four of us can kind of be dickheads and he's like, he's, he's really, he's, he's easy going. Uh, he's, he's kind of like the, the neutral, um, like presence that we, we could use around a little bit more, uh, keep us out of trouble a little bit. But, um, yeah, that record's really fantastic. It's, I mean, the stuff they put out previously, um, you know, Snapcase is the, the obvious like point of reference and, and refused. Um, but the record has like a, it's, it's certainly its own identity too. It like, it definitely, um, it, it mixes in a lot of different elements, not just so much that like post hardcore thing, you know, there's, I, I can find some, some stuff that, um, I think kids who like run for cover bands will find some more melodic stuff that they can, they can get into on that record. But there's also a song where he's doing like a very like dead guy thing. Um, there's, it, it's a, it, it sounds like it would be, um, it doesn't sound like it should work, but I, I think when you hear it, you're like, Oh yeah, this does all make sense. And I think it's because I don't know. I think uh, vocally he's just got the range to pull it all off. And like, you know, it kind of ties, ties it all together from beginning to end. Um, so that one's really cool. The Simulacra record that we did last year just came out. Um, that was another big one that I worked on last year. Um, I mean, I've also been in the studio like a thousand times with Lennon this year alone. Uh, two releases already out and then uh, tracking some drums for him in a couple weeks. He, we did the Envision record. We did the Carbonite record, which that one is really, that one's really fucking cool. That, that's a band that I like quite a bit. Uh, I told him I think it might be my favorite of his, of his bands so far. I was a big Eco Strike fan, but um, and then uh, yeah, I, I think we're gonna record some drums for some Seed of Pain stuff in a couple of weeks. So that's all cool stuff that I've worked on. Other than that, I, I did some um, shoegaze projects earlier this year. One of them came out already. It's All Under Heaven, which is some of the Shackle guys. Yeah, um, that 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 was a shorter project. I think there's one song they're still sitting on. I don't know what they're doing with it, but that was really cool. Again, another, another songwriter that I just admire a lot, Nick, who played drums in Shackled, um, writes everything himself. He plays most of it on the recordings. He's just like another one of those, like fucking this guy can do anything people. And then the other band that's uh similar, similar sound, similar members, but a little bit different is uh, their other band cold joy, which also has some, some cool stuff coming um yeah i mean i'm i'm sure there's a lot of shit that i'm forgetting and if if i'm forgetting anybody's band who's listening i'm i'm sorry don't take it personally so you can see me in the pit yeah you see me uh standing in the back of the room don't talk to me <laughs> uh since you have such a connection with all these people in the studio you get to pick two guitar players a bass player a drummer and a singer for the air we'll call it the area super group who is it fuck all right um all right i'm taking xavier z putting him on guitar yeah of course fuck yeah okay um 
Drummer's hard. Mike Walsh, don't cry if he doesn't pick you. I think I got to mix it up because I've played in a million bands with Mike Walsh and I already play. Oh, wait, I guess I'm not in this band. I'm, I'm picking you my can super be. group. You're allowed to be. Well, I'm the fucking bass player. Who's Who's got me beat on that? Whew, man, you're going to start some smoke out here. We're going to have some less play bullshit happening soon. Yo, I'm not, yo, like maybe you could play bass better than me, but you got a better bass tone than me. Fuck no fucking here. way. No fucking no way. way. No way. That I think is that thing a has confident. a classic that has a classic fucking vibe that kill that helps the whole backbone of that band. I, I I'm not a confident person, but you know where I know I got everybody beat? Tone. I got I got a good bass tone. Um all right, so I'm in it. I'm taking Xavier. Um I'm taking Lennon for drums. I was I was Fuck, torn yeah. between like Lennon, Mully, or or Andy. Also, I mean, he's like a robot. But I'm taking robots, Lennon. Br- robots don't have vibes. Lennon's I'm taking Lennon because I think I think we got a little more a little more crossover in in musical taste. All right, that's, I'm, ar- that's I'm already love- I'm already loving this. All right. Um, I need another guitar player. Ridge? Oh, yeah, I'm taking Ridge. Yep, yeah, I'm taking Ridge. I was shocked after the accolade you gave him. You didn't pick him first, but... Well, you know, he's he's got such a, like... I For a second, I was like, he's got such a specific style. But, you know, he does other... I mean, he he's also does Pain of Truth, and there's... What's that? Uh, what is it? Last Man Standing? Yeah. No, that's not it. The thing that just came out today or yesterday, I know what the fucking demo. I thought it was Last Man Out or something or something like that. It's one of them. Let me don't make me look it up, but I just saw them post all about it. Sorry, Ridge. We're not good at capping everybody. We're sorry. Yeah. Um, All right. So I just need a singer. Oh, Bob. The fucking most angry son of a bitch. Yo, I cannot even express how shockingly loud he is when he records vocals. He goes a hundred. He just screams at top volume. Last man out. Last man out. That's what it is. He is so fucking loud. It is. I don't know how he makes that sound, but yeah, that's, that's my lineup. So we got Bob Wilson on vocals, Ridge and Xavier on the axes. Yeah, you on the bass and Lennon on the drums. That's a fucking project to better start. You just started the fucking super band. Jesus Christ! All right, guys. Uh, let's talk. Yeah, within three let's days you'll have seven days. songs yeah. from all these assholes. Jesus Christ! Yeah. All right, let's go. Um, shout out all the imper- important things like how people can reach you for records if they want to record. Shout out the different ways your bands can be contacted, and leave us with some pensive thoughts of. One Wyatt Oberholzer. Um, yeah, I mean the the record you can get from I think it's war dash rex.com. Let me yes. double check that that's that is correct. All right. It's um, it's war.rec and we'll have this in the show notes. All right, yeah. So you can pre-order the record there. I mean not pre-order. Get the record there. Uh it'll be on on Spotify and Apple and fucking title, whatever the hell you use by the time that this is out. Um, 
you can hit up the band on Insta. You can hit up Fixation on Instagram at uh, Fixation HC. You can hit up Chemical Fix. I think it's Chemical Fix PHL. How the fuck do I not know this? So that was Chemical. Chemical dot fix um, on Instagram. That's pretty much. I mean, I guess people maybe email us, but no, just just DM us on there. Um, and for the studio. Um, you can, you can message me on Instagram, uh, Wyatt Oberholzer. Um, you can, uh, go through, I have a contact form on my website. That is all the stuff I'm going to ask you if you DM me anyway, or you can email me. Uh, that's what is the, uh, what is the website name? It's just wyattoberholzer.com. See, smart as fuck. You want to get one of the greatest recording this is where you go. This guy's touched so many great hardcore things. And um, the passion's there. The knowledge is there. The excitement's there. And I'll Take only bully you a little bit. Yeah. I think that in a time with so many great artists in the area and so many great musicians and people doing so much amazing shit, Philadelphia would have been lost without you. And I've told you that thousands of times already. I know, that, and I, I appreciate it every time. It's, it's I, I truly believe that you've add you've added. You're like the secret weapon here. It's like you can't go to war if you don't have the right shit. And Philadelphia would be lost without someone like you. Your story is fantastic, and um, I appreciate you being able to correct me on my notes. I hate when I take notes and I'm like, "Fuck, I fucked it up." <laughs> so I love the ability for you to wait. What happened? Um. Thank you once again for coming on the show. No, thank you. That 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 means a lot. And I, and I sincerely I appreciate your it. impact. Your impact is going to last a long fucking time. And I think that there's people that want to be show promoters. Everybody wants to be in a band. Some people like moshing. Few people ever take the time to get into the what you do, and and your your fingerprints and your your thoughts are on all this shit. And I'm I'm just thankful we finally get you on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. Nah, take care. Once again, thank you for supporting This Is Hardcore Podcast, T-I-H-C-Podcast.com. Make sure that you are going and supporting PhillyHCShows.com. Say it every week, but it's really going to happen. Me and OG talked. Rule of three is going to come back. Yo, if you don't go and listen to the last post-America Hardcore Podcast, I, I don't know what's fucking wrong with you. That shit was off the fucking hook. Make sure you support Post America Hardcore. Um, the podcast, the episode with Matt Carl is a fucking legendary recap for Matt Carl. And one of my favorite episodes that Richie's done with some of the younger guys. Broadsheet Breakdown is going to be coming back. And our friends from the West Coast, 185 miles south. Listen, they do some cool shit because they don't just interview people. They really go the whole way and talk record and record. Their top 10, I can't always agree with it, but I'll, I'll share it with you so you can go listen to the last episode. They did, a, and this is their 183rd episode, top 100 hardcore punk records of the 90s. Number one, they had Inside Out, No Spiritual Surrender, 7-inch. Chain of Strength, What Hold Us Apart. I mean... Yeah, that's pretty good, but Burn 1990, Integrity, Who Fears Tomorrow, Unbroken, Live Love Regret, You Today Discharge, 
Turning Point No Escape, Bear Religion Against the Grain, Undertow at both ends LP, and Hello Bastards LP. That's that's their top ten. They're next. Some 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 in there that I would have put up maybe in the top ten. Jawbreaker 24 Hours Revenge Therapy. Uh, Ignite Call My Brothers. Madball Set It Off. Floor Punch Division 1 Champs. Rancid Let's Go. Sick of It All Scratch the Surface. Earth Crisis Firestorm. Outspoken Light in the Dark LP. Fugazi on, uh, In on the Kill Taker LP. Reason to Believe When Reasons Sleep Demons Dance. To go... You gotta support the episode, 183 mile, uh, 185 miles south, and that episode is number 183. Fucking fantastic from those guys. We have a lot of cool shit coming up. Make sure you support. Thank you once again, and for those who are suffering or those who know some people, please nine eight eight save a life. Give yourself another night out. You know, just one night can change the perspective of someone who is suffering. So. Just keep that in mind. And thank you once again. Take care.